Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, September 19th, 2017. Yes, I'm back. There was no coup. There was no palace coup. No palace intrigue like there is, of course, in D.C. Doug Hagman, along with my son Joe Hagman, uh, together, back together again. I want to welcome everyone to our broadcast tonight. We've got a lot of information to cover, a lot of great um, some great guests coming up. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to have, uh, I'm sorry, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to have Peter Barry Chowka, uh, checking in with us to talk about his, really, his media coup. And, uh, it's, it's going to be fantastic. And that's relative to what he's written on the Hagman Report and also at American Thinker, uh, a brilliant man. And, and one that's obviously tied into, uh, t- tied into the right people as the good sources. Uh, the second guest we're going to have, Dr. Jerome Corsi, hour two. His new, there were his book, relatively new, Partners in Crime. We're going to be talking about the Clinton Foundation and, uh, and of course all things related to the partners in crime known as Hillary and Bill Clinton or Billary or Hillbillery, whatever. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Partners in Crime is, a, is an outstanding uh, investigative research book. And then, of course, Hour 3, rounding out tonight's schedule, will be Stan Dale, as usual, on Tuesday. So with that, uh, it, now I'm back. Um, I want to thank, I want to thank everyone. I, uh, I was absent for the last couple of days, I think since last, uh, what, last Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I was not here. And of course, I was in Branson, Missouri, attending the True Legends concert, or con- concert, True Legends conference. I can talk. Um, with, uh, it was just outstanding. There was 3,000 attendees at the conference itself. 3,000 people. And it was smooth. It was unbelievable. The conference was well done. And I, I first of all, I want to thank, uh, uh, Steve Quayle for the invitation and for allowing me to be part of such a great program. But starting out, I, I want to thank everyone here at, at the studio for holding things down. It's an incredible, the job, this job is incredible. It's intense. It's hard. It's, it doesn't look hard. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe we're just so bad at it that who knows? You could, I don't know. But I want to thank John Robertson for taking over my spot when I was absent. And I want to thank Joe as well. And Eric, I know that uh, uh, worked his butt off 24-7. And, of course, Jackie. They all teamed up, teamed together. And uh, that's right. Give, give yourself a give yourself Getting a applause hand. from the in-studio audience. Give yourself a hand. That's uh, well-deserved. But uh, thank you. In, in, yeah, in a second. Yeah, you want me to cue you? I'll give you a cue. Wait. Talk amongst yourselves, people. We're okay. 
Yeah. Live, yeah. Um, can you pull that one off Twitter? There's, I don't know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Probably. All right. Um, while we're doing that, I, I, I also want to thank my wife for putting up with me. We drove from, uh, Northwest Pennsylvania to Branson and it was, let me just say this, the drive down, uh, okay, we would have been better off on horseback. I, I think at least part of the time. Or bicycles. In the drive back, better. But, uh, of course, we stopped in St. Louis on the way back. And St. Louis, I stopped there and I addressed some of this in my morning show. Uh, stopped in St. Louis to get a, get a feel for what was going on there. And folks, you're not getting the truth about what's going on in St. Louis. 123, 125 arrests as of Sunday night. Monday morning, that is. Yeah, then they're under-reporting the numbers. Under-reporting the numbers, the, the there's looting, there's uh, there's they're extending the, uh, uh, the 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 crime of crimes of violence and such into the suburbs. It's just crazy. But more on that later. But again, I want to thank uh, I do want to thank the in-house crew here. Again, Eric the Tech, the fantastic job, and John Robertson for singing in, and Joe for for handling the four, Jackie for uh, taking care of the administrative duties as well. But a couple of comments about the uh, conference itself, and I think this is important. Um, oh, and I also want to thank the people that I met there. Um, the three thousand people. If you and if you have that picture, I'm not sure from that one. Yeah, can you show that one? It was. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I didn't post it. It was posted by someone else. So you had 300 or 3,000 people in house. How many, uh, live stream did they give a number? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I know. Uh, I'm a sure lot. quite a few, yeah. A lot. At least half again as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there were something like 14 or 16 people from 14 or 16 countries that were there. And, uh, I, I think I've, I spoke to maybe, Five or six of those people, and um, but the the reason I'm saying all of this is we are, in my view, what what I witnessed in Branson. We are living in the times in which we're living are epic, and I believe that they are the end of days. From a guy who really, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. I'm not. I'm not Heck, I'm not even a good Christian, you know, half the time. But the fact of the matter is, the if Branson, Missouri was a jury trial, I think everyone in the audience would understand that yeah, we are living in the end of days. We are living in the just the cusp on some very radical events about to take place. But one of the things that struck me, and I apologize for, uh, and, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can, you can check to see some of the, uh, pictures that were put up. Um, Steve, uh, actually had invited me on, on the stage on Saturday night, which was very nice of him. Introduced me, uh, to the crowd and, uh, quite a few people listened to the show. And that, that, that humbled me. And I say that, 
it's unbelievable to me that we have had such a such an effect on on people and it's not us it's our guests it's people like Steve Quayle it's people like Pastor David Langford it's people it's guests like Peter Chowka it's it's guests like Jerome Corsi and um others too numerous to mention that really makes this show what it is and it's listeners and viewers like you because without you this would be nothing and I realize that but getting back to the conference I I, I need to thank and acknowledge Shadow Enterprises out of Arkansas they provided security for all 3,000 people there and they also provided a security detail that was assigned to my wife and myself, Steve and his wife and some others. Why? Well, you know, for obvious reasons. Because we're living in different times. You have a crowd of 3,000 gathered in one of the most historic places in the United States, arguably. You're, you could be a target. And it's interesting that, that the threats that exist um, to silence us are out there, and they're legitimate threats. But to have, to, to have a security detail, that's incredible. The, and, the, and here's why I bring this up. In 2017, in the United States of America, to, ha- to, to, to have the necessity to hire a security detail just boggles my mind. Now, I don't know if you and I, folks, if if, if you are on that same wavelength as, as me, think about that for a second. The need for security when you have 3,000 conservative Christians gathered together in one spot. It shouldn't be that way. Am I wrong in thinking that? It shouldn't be that way. Well, I don't think the uh, Christian conservatives are who the security personnel will be worried about. No, no, I no to protect the, the, oh, yeah, the, the yeah. attendees. But am I wrong to think that? Well, we've seen what happened with uh, you know, look at what happened with Brandon House just earlier this year. Right, the right. conference he held, the guy had machine guns in his car. He came in and did a Facebook Live video. Um, I mean, that was a real threat. Right, exactly. But but here, but. That I, I guess that kind of st- that stuck with me when when I w- after leaving and and I thought how sad is this? The conference was phenomenal. It was great, and and the security was absolutely top notch. I mean, I felt like we had a, we, I felt like it was a Secret Service detail. I mean, seriously. But that said, that's not that's not the point. The point is, in 2017, America, that Christian conservatives have to be or Christian conservatives are targets out there because of what the progressive left has done and continues to do and, and demonizes Christians and demonizes conservatives and, and, and there's a war against the, the, the faith that, that founded this country. There's something radically wrong in America in 2017. And no, I'm not just waking up to that. But to see it firsthand, there's something wrong. And you know what? Each one of us has a job to do to fix that. I ain't backing down. I'm not backing down. I wouldn't back down. I know nobody nobody in that auditorium would back down. Speakers and attendees. 
But the fact of the matter, again, is this. It, it was a, it was a fantastic conference, but the fact is, in 2017, we're targets. Whether you like it or not, we're targets. And whether you like it or not, we are combatants in a war that's greater than, than any one of us and even all of us put together. Battle, we're engaged in, we're unwilling or unwitting, or perhaps witting and willing. Take your pick. Combatants in the war. The targets are the Christian conservatives, conservatives, political conservatives, moral conservatives, and such. To silence people like you and me. And I'll talk about the content of the conference another day, summarize it another day. But suffice it to say, those people that, that I met there, every one of them, and my wife met, were so nice. Were so absolutely nice. I wish I could have coffee with every, each and every one of the people that I met. Um, I mean, both my wife and I were near tears half the time because of the, how nice the people, how nice each and every one of you from Branson were. I, I, I couldn't believe it. The, I met a 87 year old woman at the, I'm not going to give her name, but uh, I, t- I took her picture. And uh, just a delightful lady who traveled from Florida with her family, with her son and uh, daughter and son-in-law. And it, it was so it was so great because the hearts and minds of Christian conservatives and Christians out there, we can win. We are, we, to some extent, we are winning in certain areas. But the fact is, we have to keep on fighting. And I'd like to thank people who are helping us keep stay on the air. Because, you know, it's a fight every day. And it's a fight that must be, we must engage and we, we must, we, we will prevail. I do want to apologize for not being able to, to, to shake more hands and to give more hugs out there to the people who waited and it, it just wasn't possible. It, it, again, the uh, constraints of, of the security and the constraints of the the entire configuration, it just wasn't possible. So if I missed you, I'm sorry. But for those of you who I met and met my wife, thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. It was great meeting you. And for those who are who are providing uh, or giving you know providing support for us, thank you. And lastly, I want to thank Steve Quill. You know, he, he said to me once, and well, more than once, that God makes better friends for us than we can make for ourselves, and I believe that. Because I certainly didn't set out to to make you know to, to become his friend or to, to search him out to to become become his friend, but that's what happened. Circumstances actually, God intervened, and that, that's what happened. And it was through Steve that. Met Pastor Langford and L.A. Marzilli. In fact, if you, if you have Steve Quayle, um, I think there's a picture of Steve and I in the green room. Oh, there, there's a bunch of pictures there. All right, so if you're watching this live on YouTube, uh, uh, there's uh, L.A. Marzulli and uh, Dr. Michael Lake, um, Steve Quayle, of course. And, well, okay, going, we'll just say going clockwise from the top left, uh, L.A. Marzulli. And a guy that needs a blue dot over his face. And then Dr. Michael Lake. And then, um, Henry Groover in the bottom right. Who's just a tremendous man. And then of course Steve Quayle in the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Jack Nicholson's, uh, doppelganger sometimes. 
But uh, I just want to thank Steve for putting on a great, uh, a great conference. I, I don't know, I don't think I've ever been to a conference that well managed and that successful. And I want to thank, uh, I want to thank all the speakers as well. They were just uh, the, the amount of knowledge that was dispensed there was just second to none. All right. And my, my wife was actually in studio, uh, came to the studio to make sure that I did this right. She even gave me notes. You want to see him? She's sitting off camera. So, but, but again, it's good to be back and it's good to get down to business. But I, I needed that, I needed that kind of relief valve there that, that just, just to let you know how important you are to, to me. I don't know how else to put it. And and the reason for the importance, though, is the fight that we find ourselves in. And looking at the bigger picture, which I like to do because I'm a big picture guy, and then, of course, drill down to the, the minutia, the details. I, I can tell you right now that we're that we're we're in, we're in a time like no other. And. Um, I don't know. I, look, I'm not the most. I I, ha, I was not just the, this last 15 minutes. Certainly not the most eloquent, but it's from the heart. So Steve said, you know, he said most of the time he said uh, he's not linear. I certainly wasn't linear just now. It doesn't matter. This is from the heart, and 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 this is to everyone who have who we met and who have stepped up and and who are really whose eyes have been opened by the truth. And, you know, as I was traveling back, uh, I think it was from St. Louis. Uh, I'm not even sure. <laughs> not sure when. Um, I was listening to Sean Hannity, his radio program. And it doesn't matter what you think of the messenger. It's the message that counts. And he had uh, Bill O'Reilly on yesterday on his radio program. And he was talking about uh, the essentially the takedown of the people at Fox. And this goes to what Peter Barry Chalk was going to be talking about and the, um, and, the, and the fights that are against the new media, the honest media. We'll call this the honest media meaning the alternative media is the honest media. The um the, the point I'm trying to make is, is really simple. If you are if you like us, it doesn't matter if you've got a platform or not, but those people who have the platform and are, are getting the truth out there, we are targets. And it is so important to understand in today's environment that truth is so fleeting it's so tenuous it is so it's difficult at times to discern what's true and what's not true and with the corporate mass media monopolizing the airwaves and people turning to the corporate mass media and and, and the elements therein creating these websites say don't trust these people and don't trust those people and these are fake news and in the post Obama era we as well are, have targets on our back because of our positions within the media. And like it or not, I guess we are the, 
within that media, within the new media, the honest media. So, in addition to being conservative and Christian, and now we have a platform, we're even bigger targets. And I, and I discussed this on my morning show. But you as well, the listener and the viewer, are targets as well. If you're listening to this broadcast, or if you listen to any conservative Christian, conservative or Christian, or Christian conservative, you're targets. And I've said that before, and I want to reinforce that. Because it's coming down to the wire that we are engaged in a battle, an asymmetrical battle with multiple fronts, and that's just one of the fronts. And I want to thank you for standing up. Thank you for, as listeners and viewers, for standing up and saying, you know what, I don't care. I don't care what the stakes are or what the uh, costs are. I know what the stakes are. And the stakes are much higher than uh, most people can really even imagine. So having said all of that, I just can't say enough for our listeners, our viewers, and uh, for the team we've assembled and the team that you've allowed us, that you've, you've given us the ability to assemble to bring you a quality product, I think a quality product, as evidenced by even the guests tonight, simply tonight, out of all nights. And that's not to the exclusion of other nights. So that concludes my opening remarks, and that's not my usual. It's just from the heart talk, saying thanks for everything, and I'm glad to be back. So, Joe. You still have three minutes to fill. Well, okay. No, one, we can, we can but do But one that. thing, uh, just one thing, the um, this Manafort thing, and I, I think you covered that in your show, you and John, yeah. right? Yeah, we did. We're getting a report too, folks. There's a bunch of articles there, right? And a few, one of them at least talks about Manafort. Well, I, I think uh, the, the the last the, the one thing that we have to watch is, and again, I covered this in my in my morning show this morning. The goal is to take out Donald Trump, and they're going after Paul Manafort to to take out Donald Trump, and we are all engaged in this battle. It's real simple. There were two, there were two different uh, FISA. Uh, Executions, two different wiretaps, two different wiretaps, wiretaps. Did you hear me? Wiretaps, the same word used by Donald Trump in his Twitter feed. When you look at what's going on here, this is a witch hunt, a head, head, head hunt, and I'm going to tell you right now, if this doesn't stop, if if Mueller is not stopped, we could have a, a serious constitutional crisis, if not a civil war. On our hands, and I do believe that if Donald Trump is brought down, and there's never been a president in the history of America that's been impeached and removed from office, I do believe that we will have a civil war on our hands. Just judging by the as I drove through the country, seeing that and talking with people, I'm going to tell you there's, a, there's an extreme divide among the people in this country, an extreme divide. Did you see the article where the Senate has put together or is putting together a resolution? that will keep Donald Trump from firing Robert Mueller to protect him? Yeah, I, I, I'm i aware of that. However, I'm not even sure that... I, I suppose anything can be legislated, right? You can... you can. I suppose that could be... Well, I, I just find it really interesting that they would... You know, the, these people can't agree on anything as far as real legislation to make significant changes to the government, but... You know, on issues like abortion or <laughs> on Robert Mueller, 
they can sit down and pass bills, uh, you know, to keep the president from trying to, to fire Mueller. I just find that very I, I don't, sad and amusing. I, I just don't think that there's enough there, there, or, or enough, um, uh, enough, uh, clout, political clout right. there to get that passed. No, I agree. Um, and it, I mean, it's just something that was talked about and thrown out on the Hill, uh, at the end of last week. We only have, uh, two minutes till break, so we'll just do a quick rundown. There has been an earthquake in Mexico City, a 7.1 earthquake. They're reporting that over 80 people, over 100 people are dead. And what's interesting about this is two things. One, it came on the anniversary of a quake in Mexico City in 1985 that was deadly. And also, there were emergency earthquake drills held today in Mexico City. And the people of the town, hours before the actual earthquake happened, practiced these earthquake drills only to be hit with an actual earthquake later in the day. And... We talk about how often we've seen drills conducted by government officials for terror attacks and, and uh, different reasons pertaining to terror, mostly, that go live later in the day. We're going to we, we have to talk to Stan about that tonight, right? I, th- I think it's an interesting coincidence, and it's worth a mention. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> Drudge has a bunch of stories on this. The more than 100 killed after 7.1 magnitude earthquake rocks in Mexico City. Triggering explosions, collapsing buildings, sending people fleeing into the streets. The death toll was uh, first announced at 40 people, then 80 people an hour later, and now it's up to 100. I imagine it will still continue to rise uh, as the damage looks pretty bad. And a number of buildings collapsed in downtown also. Looks like there's going to be a direct hit on Puerto Rico from Category 5 Hurricane Maria, and that is something that um, these islands down in the Caribbean who just got hit by Irma, are getting hit again by this Maria. But from what I understand, Puerto Rico has not been hit by a Category 4 or 5 storm since 89, maybe. And they predict that this will do a lot of damage. 3.5 million people live on Puerto Rico. And I think that's going to be happening tonight and through tomorrow. So keep those people in your prayers. When we come back, we'll be joined by Peter Beruchauka. He's going to come on to talk about a great article he wrote about a month ago, five weeks ago, where he talked about Laura Ingram joining Fox News and taking Hannity's time slot at 10 p.m. and having Hannity move to 9 p.m. Well, today that was announced by Fox News. Uh, Peter and his sources were right, so we're going to bring him on to talk about that. After these short, after these short messages, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of end-times fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. 
extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. This edition of the Hagman Report, Doug Hagman with Joe Hagman together. Something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Uh, a couple of things real quick. Tomorrow I'm going to be on with Roger Stone um, on the War Room. Roger Stone and Owen Schroyer. That's tomorrow on with Roger Stone and um, Owen Schroyer, the War Room. I think it's 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And looking forward to that. Also... Uh, just want to thank Global Star Radio Network for airing our program as well as BTR, the fine folks there, great folks there at BTR, and of course on YouTube Live. So the, it, it was interesting because I, I had the pleasure and the pleasant opportunity in transit to speak with, uh, this, our next guest, Peter Barry Chaka, who, um, we, we had some pretty intense discussion about what he's going to be talking about right now. So let's, without any, wasting any time, let's, uh, bring him on, uh, I just got the, the finger, not that finger, but a finger from Eric, this finger. For those listening, it was the index finger saying, hang on a minute, where he's working that out. But, um, but it was an interesting conversation. You know, the, the destroy Donald Trump media. The media is attempting to take, take out Donald Trump, to take the man out of the office and take the office out of the country, essentially, to destroy the country. And they're partners in this. And I just want to, um, one of the top stories on Hagman Report, real quick, 
is a link to some of the coverage that they gave Donald Trump after his UN speech. And there's a journalist, an ABC journalist named Terry Moran, or Moron, I call him. But uh, he comes out and says, after the president's warning to North Korea, that what Trump said bordered on the threat of a war crime. And George Stephanopoulos piled on, and Trump said something really interesting uh, about socialism that they both, Stephanopoulos and Moran, had issue with. He said, the problem with Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. And he also went on to condemn the murderous regime in Iran, and George Stephanopoulos and this uh, Terry Moran go and continue to say that this was a speech of a dictator, and this was a you know some kind of signal to Vladimir Putin. This is what he would say, and Trump's giving a license to dictators to do whatever they want to their own people, even though he said the opposite of that. This is just a, a microcosm example of how the media has been treating Trump since he's been elected. Exactly. And to talk more about that and other things, Peter Berichaka, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Doug. Glad to see that you made it home safely after your weekend in Branson. Hey, uh, yeah, indeed. And I apologize for the for the call. The phone died. So, I mean, it died, died. Uh, <laughs> That's so. what I assumed. It's yeah, okay. I mean, I, I enjoy the time we did have on the phone while you're driving. Oh, but, uh, I didn't. I didn't realize the, the, the. Hey, I'm new to this this newfangled technology. Anyway. Uh, cell phones. But anyway, uh, Peter, good job on the reporting, uh, the concise, r- extremely great reporting on what's been taking place behind the scenes at Fox News. I know you're, you've got impeccable sources. Let's talk about what uh, what's happened over the last 48 hours, 24, 48 hours. Yes. Uh, yesterday, Monday, the long-awaited official announcement came down from Fox News uh, about the uh, new fall schedule that's going to be starting next Monday. And uh, that is that Tucker Carlson will remain at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prime time. Sean Hannity, who's currently our, our personal favorite for a variety of reasons that we discuss at length, he's moving from 10 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's significant because also at 9 o'clock on MSNBC is Rachel Maddow. She's been in that time slot for eight or nine years now, and she has finally risen to the number one position of all cable news shows after the uh, demise of Bill O'Reilly this past April. So Sean Hannity will be taking her on one-to-one, and the new program at 10 p.m. will be Laura Ingram, uh, and she will start her show on October 30th. Now, I had a heads-up on all of this about six weeks ago, and I reported it uh, about five weeks ago, both at American Thinker and at the Hagman Report, in two articles which laid out the schedule. Now, meanwhile, everyone else in the media, both mainstream and alternative, literally everyone, was saying that uh, Laura, Laura Ingram, would be the one to get 9 o'clock, and that she would go head-to-head with Rachel Maddow, so we would have two uh, women, or I should say Rachel Maddow and Laura Ingram, uh, going at it, but my source said at the time, no, it's going to be Sean Hannity, and uh, I was happy to have that small vindication yesterday. Uh, so, and and you know, with the assistance of, of course, American Thinker and the Hagman Report to publish it, and we discussed this as well on more than one program in August. So, I think we all deserve a 
a small round of applause for getting the story right. Not that we will get any credit for it. <laughs> of course. Of course. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is. It's a small footnote, but uh, at least we're on the right track. No, no, but, uh, Peter, why is this important? Because some people might say, well, so what? You yes. Know, uh, but, yes. But, but there's, there's, it's important. And, you know, why is, what's the importance behind this? Well, you know, I'll start answering that question by noting that I heard your program this morning, Doug, and you were really fired up. It was incredible. But you sketched out how, uh, one of the fronts in the media war, the war for information, the info war that we're currently seeing in real time is, uh, that which is going after it's targeting, attacking, uh, and trying to destroy the alternative so-called media, including uh, apparently the Hagman Report, as you commented on at length this morning. Well, we know that wars have multiple fronts, both shooting wars and info wars. So another really important front on the info war is that which is occurring in the mainstream media and that is now boiled down to the Fox News Channel because there is no other major mainstream media outlet at this point which is not in the tank, which is not controlled by the, the shadow government, the deep state, etc. Or if not controlled, it's in sync with the objectives of this uh, nefarious uh, group of forces that is, are, are taking us down. Fox News is the last one, and we know that Fox News is not perfect. We've discussed that many times. They have too many leftists on that channel for uh, my taste. But in prime time, uh, for the three hours in prime time, they're still pretty good. Tucker Carlson, uh, Laura Ingram, and, of course, our favorite, Sean Hannity. And not to name drop here, but you were I, I heard the first hour of your program before I came on tonight, and... Uh, you were mentioning Sean Hannity, and by the way, I have to thank you for giving me a, a heads up yesterday on Sean Hannity's radio show, which I then found the podcast to and included uh, some reporting on that in my article today at American Thinker. But as usual, I, I emailed that article to Sean, and uh, he just tweeted it a short time ago. Uh, he tweeted the link to American Thinker as opposed to retweeting my tweet about it, but but that's okay. That'll get it many, many more page views. I mean, instantly you'll get like a thousand tweets. So I was actually emailing him back and forth right before we went on the air here, and I told him that I'd be doing this show and what the topic was, and he said, fantastic. So I, I've gotten to know Sean over the last several months, and um, I can personally testify to the fact that he's really a good guy. It, it's really incredible that somebody at that level of success, visibility, and uh, financial remuneration is a really down-to-earth, decent individual. So, you know, bravo to Sean Hannity. And um, you, you know, he, he is a he's a great guy. Um, I've never had the opportunity, to really. Um, to, I certainly haven't met him. Uh, and, and my, um, well, I'll just say this: I, I admire him because you know he's taken a lot of hits. And he survived a lot of hits, but he's he's still running. He's still um, you know, running at full full capacity, full speed. And I think that that the internal war at Fox News, whatever it might be, with you know with the Murdochs and um, and how that how that has played out for for his mere survival, and then not just that, but thri thriving 
um, to to go head to head against the MSNBC Madcow uh, performance, the carnival there um, of of Russian uh, the the Russian carnival uh is is it, you know that to me gives me a lot of hope peter it really does i i i've got a lot of hope for uh the truth prevailing at at least during that hour of cable news right uh, i mean the the good news about prime time on fox news being in the hands of three pretty sound and sincere uh conservative individuals uh all of whom are are by the way religious individuals tucker Sean and Laura. I mean, Laura always wears a, a, a cross every time she's on television, a gold cross. But, um, you know, that shouldn't, though, um, reassure us too much because the battle goes on around us, including at Fox News. And I think this is a temporary victory. I think it's going to be a, a, a slog from here on out to see that these three credible people can maintain their positions there in the face of the Murdoch boys, the two sons of Rupert Murdoch, and I have it on very good authority that what made it possible for this schedule to go forward in prime time starting next Monday, which also includes, by the way, that terrible program, The Five, <laughs> uh, going back to 5 p.m. And I mentioned, uh, I have several paragraphs in my article today about American Thinker, about The Five. I mean, that show, and in particular, Juan Williams, is just impossible to take. So thank God we'll have a real alternative now at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. But uh, the Murdoch boys are still uh, amassing their control of the Fox News schedule. And as I started to say, I have it on good sourcing authority that what made the difference in this new schedule going forward with conservatives is Rupert Murdoch. He can still tell the boys, back off, this is what's going to happen. But Rupert is 86 uh, you know, I hope he has a long life ahead still and can maintain his position there. But the reality is, who knows how long he can maintain that. And the boys are waiting to get full control of Fox News. And uh, I'm afraid we're going to see it really go into a debasement zone. Not the basement, but debasement. And uh, But for the moment, it's working just like we're fighting on all the other fronts. I mean, we're fighting daily battles on the uh, alternative media front as well. So nothing is a given. You know, I heard you say earlier, Doug, that after attending the Branson conference that, uh, to paraphrase you, I think hopefully correctly, that you are convinced more than ever that we are approaching or on the verge of or within the end times. And uh, I have to say that I I agree with you. And uh, I just wanted to mention this briefly. It's a little off the radar here, but uh, I don't know if you've seen this story yet. Drudge linked to it, and I, I read the article. It's Dateline, Belleville, Illinois. I mean, this is this is indicative of this is the story. This is the story today that has me most concerned of everything that we're seeing in the news today. In Belleville, Illinois, which apparently is a small town that's in, close to St. Louis, because this is courtesy of the Fox 2 St. Louis TV station, they reported that on Sunday. A football team of a grade school there comprised of eight-year-olds. Uh, it doesn't say what race these kids are or anything about that, but the eight-year-olds apparently were uh, aware of what's going on in St. Louis this past weekend. You know, the uh, right. objections of the mobs to 
the white cop not being, you know, found guilty of, of killing the, uh, alleged drug dealer, violent man in 2011. But, so the kids knew about that and one of them said, uh, to the coach, you know, a black man was killed and a white perpetrator is not being held accountable. And the coach, I guess, nodded his head in agreement. These kids also knew about the case of Colin Kaepernick and, and his, um, his actions of refusing to stand for uh, the, the national anthem and instead kneeling. So all the kids on this eight-year-old eight uh, grade school team said, would it be okay for us to kneel instead of standing for the national anthem at our game on Sunday? And the coach said, yes, of course. So they did. And the report from this Fox News channel is that the parents did not disagree with this. And I'm thinking, here is here is a, a, a an example of what we face with the newest, youngest generation. You know, uh, words like Hitler Youth come to my mind. You know, that you get them as young as possible and uh, the die is cast. So, I mean, God help us after reading that story. I was ready to throw up my hands and give up. But now we go forward doing what we can with at least uh, the people who... We'll hear what we're saying and reporting and doing, but and this is how, indicative of how, the challenge here, that faces us. How old were those children? Eight, was that eighth grade or no, eight years old? Uh, it eight says years. Eight, eight years old and under. It was a grade school uh, team. Uh, okay. A, a school called, called the Cahokia School. Okay. I, I, I missed that. I was, I was In my time there, I was too, obviously too focused on... St. Louis, but, but, uh, you know, to me, okay, would you have thought at that age of ever doing that? Of course not. Uh, Joe, I mean, you would Well, I wouldn't have thought at that age of, excuse me, I wouldn't have thought at that age or even younger of being so interested in sex, in transgender, in homosexuality, but, you know, kids today are getting that indoctrination, uh, in kindergarten, if not earlier in the, the state schools. So, I mean, everything is upside down. So I guess this really shouldn't surprise us, and yet it did. It's currently listed on the left-hand column of uh, the Drudge Report mm. below the title, but it's it's well worth a look. I mean, it's a mind-boggling story. But, you know, it, it, again, it's part of the Infowar. These kids are being subjected to an Infowar at their level of grade school. And the coach reinforces. I mean, he's certainly no coach Dave Dobermeyer, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. But he he's fine with their. Well, do you see an issue with an ridiculous tackle football player? Sick, evil decision to crap on the flag and the national anthem. He's fine with it. And apparently, so are the parents of these kids, if we can believe this reported Fox News, Fox Two, St. Louis, but. You know, I'm going to see if there's any more reporting on this story because it's just really piqued my interest and uh, maybe it's something I can write about. But, you know, as a journalist, I'm sure you're finding the same thing on any day now. Oh, yeah. There's such an avalanche of stories that, uh, I mean, there aren't enough hours in the day or in the week to address the stories that come out in, in a couple of hours now. You, you know, uh, I just want to say this, Joe, and I know you got something to add, something to say to, to Peter, but, uh, folks, the uh, Peter Barry Chalka is the only person I know who works more than I do, okay? I, I, I don't know. He's got like 26 hours, 27 hours in a day, but and he's awake during like 24 of them. Um, seriously. He, he, this man is, is works 
you really do. You're an incredible powerhouse. And I'm not trying, I mean, that's not flattery. That's just fact. Um, when I called him, uh, I don't know. I, I, yesterday, when I, when I spoke with you yesterday, you were only sleeping for a couple of hours, having worked the entire night researching. Same thing happened today when Joe called me. I'd been asleep for about an hour. <laughs> It's amazing. You know, the call comes, and what are you going to do? You've got to rise to the opportunity. I'm not going to say no to an opportunity like this to uh, to chat with you guys and share information with your audience. So, you know, and, 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 whether, whether we have no other option at this point, really. Well, we, we don't. And the only other addition I want to make to that statement, aside from an addition of working hard, that is um, the, the, your source, your, I'm sorry, your source is plural, on matters of media, uh, no pun intended for media matters, but uh, on matters about the media and inside channels and your contacts, and of course your um, relationship with Sean Hannity um, is just an amazing asset to to this program, and we thank you for it. Because well, thank you, you I mean, for the opportunity the to to share it. And you know, this on this day, I, I was I mentioned on the uh, earlier program that I did a segment of with. Uh, Joe and John today, that this very day, August 19th, that we're meeting now, is the four-month anniversary of the first article that I wrote about the cable news wars that was published in American Thinker, and there have been at least 40 or 45 articles since then on that range of topics, cable news wars, the info wars, Fox News, in addition to other subjects that I've written about, too. But I thought, uh, I, I had no idea then in writing that initial article about the challenges facing Fox News on, back on May 19th, uh, of what was ahead, including, uh, Sean Hannity of all people reaching out to me uh, shortly thereafter because he was reading my articles and, um, you know, and then are getting in touch, uh, in June and doing all these programs and now my contributing to the Hagman report. I mean, you know, it's really incredible. As, as I as I told Joe earlier on the phone when we were talking off the air, it's been a really long time in my media career, which spans 45 years now, a really long time since I've had um, collaborators or an outlet such as you guys represent, and American Thinker to an extent too, but really the Hagman Report is my favorite venue to work with right now, and it's because of you, Doug, Joe, John, Eric, Jackie, you know, the, the, the media enterprise that you have built is, is just incredible. And as I was saying to you off the air yesterday, Doug, it deserves, uh, an article. It deserves, well, an article, many articles. It deserves highlighting on its own for what you have built from the ground up and ever expanding here because the need is there and because the truth is there. You are speaking truth to power unlike anybody else that I'm currently in touch with, and a consistent, dedicated, and spiritually informed way that is the com- it represents the complete picture. I mean, a- as a journalist, who could want for more than to have found colleagues and brothers in arms uh, like you guys? So, you know, I-, I thank you for that every day, sincerely. Well, and, and Peter, uh, you've been doing some great work, as as always, and posting a, a number of different uh, topics uh, when you write your stories on Hagman Report, and I like the diversity in your reporting, um, especially that that article on St. Louis you did. That was fantastic. 
I, you know what, Joe? It was. It was very good. And, and if you, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not read that article, um, I learned a lot from that article. In fact, he, uh, Peter Barry Chalka on American Thinker and, and on Hagman Report, um, uh, of course, the St. Louis, uh, article. St. Louis Blues. Right. The, the links in there that were pretty uh, obscure, you know, he, mm-hmm. he provided. And thank you for that. Well, you know what was one inspiration, Doug and Joe? Uh, of course, I was following the St. Louis story very, very closely, both online and on cable news, because the news channels were covering it live. And, and when it's a live story like that, you can really pick up a lot when there's no delay and you're really seeing what's happening on the street. But uh, that first night, I happened to hear a news report, top-of-the-hour news on radio station KGO San Francisco, 50,000-watt station. And I'm still trying to track down who provided that uh, network newscast to them. They don't say on their website, so I'm just going to have to tune into them again and see. But here to paraphrase the news, here, here's what the uh, – they said, oh, we're now going to go to, I believe, Dan Simon on the streets of St. Louis – and this is paraphrasing what he said. He said, well, uh, there was a big demonstration today, peaceful, hundreds of people protesting, you know, the verdict in the case. And later at night, a small group broke off and went to the mayor's house. And someone threw a rock and broke a window. And at that point, uh, the police responded with tear gas to try to disperse the crowd. Now, if you heard only that report, you'd think, oh, Massive demonstration, peaceful, you know, a small group of renegades broke off and broke a window. It was lies from beginning to end based on everything I had seen, on even on CNN and certainly on Fox News and on the Internet. So I thought, you know, I'm really going to have to look into this. And, 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 of course, almost all of the reporting throughout the weekend did not get into what was this case about? Who was the perpetrator who was killed? Who was the cop? I, I didn't see anywhere it reported, except in an obscure story from the Kansas City Star, that uh, the cop in the case who was acquitted on Friday was a West Point graduate and a, uh, a, a veteran of the Iraq War who had a medal for his service there. Yet he was portrayed as, you know, probably some kind of renegade white supremacist cop who who shot this poor, innocent black man. And, you know, we don't have time to go into all the details, but if people can get my article, yeah, a lot of it's in there, including links to the primary sources, including the 30-page opinion of the judge in the case, which is well worth well, reviewing. But I read that, and, and to me, that judge was really looking for looking for a hook somewhere in, in that. But right. that. That was just my, my, my interpretation of that court opinion. Well, it's like, it's very similar to what happened in, uh, Ferguson when the Obama Justice Department sent, uh, I think dozens of attorneys to try to, uh, get the goods on, um, the, uh, police officer on, on that, in that case, Darren Wilson was his name, I think. He probably had to change his name by now. And after all this investigating of him going back to, I think, the day he was born, you know, they could never find anything to hang on him for a, a, a civil rights or, or hate uh, offense. And, you know, eventually he was acquitted, but, of course, his, his life was pretty much upended, if not ruined in the meantime, as this cop probably will be, too. I mean, it just breaks your heart. And then, you know, when you see, unfortunately, I hate to say, the low life, who was the 
perpetrator in this case alleged, alleged well he was he was convicted he he was a convicted yeah. drug dealer violent and crime gun crimes peter we got about know. 30 seconds left just to give you a heads up here as the music's going to start playing soon well um i'll close out with saying i uh people listeners viewers tune into Doug's show in the morning tune into john and joe's show in the afternoon and continue watching the skies and watching this program and going to the Hagman Report because we're trying to pull together to speak truth to power as best we can, motivated by uh, the good book. And, 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 uh, and that's what we're doing. Peter, uh, I want people to, to follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It's twitter.com slash pchowka, P-C-H-O-W-K-A. Folks, appreciate that. Okay, yeah, please follow him on, follow Peter Barry Chalka on Twitter, P Chalka. I do, and I'll tell you what, let's flood him with a bunch of followers because his message is important. Thank you, Peter Barry Chalka, for checking Thank in with so us. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Folks, we're going to be right back. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. A Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth of what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an ammo can. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash... 
trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. back to this edition of the Hagman Report, Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, what I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, for listening, for your belief and your support in us. Thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart, and thank you for your prayers, for telling others about this program, and I want to thank once more for those just tuning in for this hour. I want to thank once more uh, every person that I met in, in Branson, um, I'm going to tell you something. You really, really, I mean, I floated home. Well, with a stop in St. Louis, but otherwise I floated home. It was, I was just on really, uh, never ever. I mean, some of the greatest people in the world I met. Um, and that's you folks. Even got an email from Deborah H. Sending uh, a Deborah, picture she I, took with you, you know, and uh, several other people. Then thank you. Yes, send them out, send them on because we've got these uh, these big boards now in the uh, studio, and I love uh, I love listeners' dogs and guest dogs, and I love the pictures that you know we take. And I don't take a good picture, so uh, trust me. I mean, I've had professional photographers say you really don't take a good picture. Uh, uh, oh well, but uh, but you can you can draw like a silly face on mine, but uh, while we're waiting for Dr. Jerome Corsi, and just give me a thumbs up, not that finger, hey, stop it, <laughs> no, while we're waiting for him, um, you know, there's something going on here with Robert Mueller, there's something, you look at, first of all, you look at the front page of Drudge, and you, and you see all, you've got massive storms, and Dane Wigington yesterday, you talked with him yep. on Geoengineering Watch, I thought that was an interesting Interesting hour. Um, there's something not right there. You got the strong quake, quake that rocks Mexico City. What's you, interesting about this quake is it happened on the day after a 32-year um, anniversary to the day of the uh, earthquake that struck Mexico City, killing 5,000 people in '85. In '85, and yep. then you had a drill that was that. held today in remembrance of that earthquake, hours before the actual quake struck. And, and I remember the '85 quake, which. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I had actually had some business contacts in Mexico City at the time. So, and we were looking, uh, actually at the time we were looking for, uh, looking for, uh, potential, uh, expansion in that area, which by the way, um, well, that's the story by itself. But yeah, monster storm direct hit Puerto Rico. Um, you just look over everything. And, and you, when you look at the headlines, my goodness. It's incredible. But one thing I want to mention, Manafort calling on the DOJ and the Department of Justice to release intercepts, investigate leak. 
And don't and, and remember this: James Clapper, the head of DNI, categor, categorically, yeah, categorically denied any wiretapping. The question is, and th- this is actually like three entries on Drudge: What did Obama know? The weaponized intelligence we are seeing that we have seen, and the actual attempt to take down. Um, Donald Trump. Yeah, that looks good, Eric, by the way. Is that what you're pointing at? Oh, okay. Alright. The, uh, the video does look good. Now, <clears throat> it is our distinct pleasure to have with us Dr. Jerome Corsi. And for those of you, and I can't believe that, that everyone doesn't know, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows Dr. Jerome Corsi, but just, just by way of proper introduction. Dr. Jerome Corsi currently serves right now as the Washington Bureau Chief for Infowars.com, an entity, by the way, the Hagman Report has a great relationship with and a, an enormous amount of respect for. Previously, he worked for uh, uh, for 12 years as senior staff reporter at WND. Again, another organization that the Hagman Report has a great relationship with and an enormous amount of respect for. Yeah, previously, World Net Daily, by the way, from 2004 through uh, 2017, January. And then since 2004, Dr. Corsi has published over, count them, 20 books, six of which were New York Times bestsellers. How many can say that? Uh, two of his books were, uh, two of, the, uh, of his books reached the top, uh, of the list, ranking number one in the New York Times nonfiction book list, Unfit for Command, Swift Boat Veterans Speak Out Against John Kerry, which, by the way, um, it, that was co-authored in 2004 with John O'Neill, but that was the first book that really introduced me to the career of Dr. Corsi. And then The Abomination, perhaps one of my favorite books, next to uh, his newest one. But uh, anyway, in 1968, Dr. Corsi received a, a Bachelor of Arts degree, graduating magna cum laude from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, not too far from where we sit right now, uh, where he majored in political science and economics. In 72, he received his Ph.D. in political science from Harvard University. Of course, that's in Cambridge, Mass. And welcome, Dr. Corsi. Can you hear me all right? Five by five, sir. We can hear okay, you. We can great. see you. Everything's great. I hear you fine. All right. Yeah, we can We can see you. We can hear you. Dr. Perfect. Corsi, congratulations on your book, uh, Partners in Crime. It's a book that I recommend. It's recommended reading here at the studio, and I recommend to anyone uh, as well. Partners in Crime, the Clinton's scheme to monetize the White House for personal profit. Man, what an enlightened story. By the way, Real quick, I just want to mention, if you go to a WD Superstore um, and enter the promo code HAGMAN, is it just HAGMAN or HAGMAN10? Just HAGMAN. You have HAGMAN. the HAGMAN for the 20% off the books and the HAGMAN10 for 10% off every and anything else in the store. Buy two. Buy two of Jerome Corsi's book. Huh. Seriously, buy two. Dr. Corsi, thanks for writing that book, sir. Oh, great, great pleasure to be with you. And, um Booked it very well, and I, I think it's an important story that we've got to tell, and uh, I think it's more relevant today than perhaps ever. With Hillary back yep. in the spotlight, and it looks like the Barack Obama Foundation has been created, and they're going to follow the uh, same kind of criminal pathway that the Clintons f- followed in creating this um, Clinton Foundation, which is, I think Charles Ortel is right, and I've worked very closely with Charles over the years, and report on a lot of his work in the book. Um, I think he's right. It's a vast criminal conspiracy. It's not a foundation. 
It's not a charity. It's a uh, criminal conspiracy. You, you know, you got me. You, you had me at the acknowledgement part of the book because uh, you talked about, uh, well, in, in the acknowledgement and preface, but you talked about Charles Ortel, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, Peter Schweitzer, who wrote Clinton Cash, and Ed Klein, and Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch, all great people. Uh, Roger Stone, of course, and Joe Farah. I mean, these, these are stellar people. And, and, and just there you had me. But you're right. I think the um, Clinton Foundation slush fund for grifters. Oh, man. Right. <laughs> oh, well, man. It, it, I, you know, I did a lot of research on this and uh, really wanted to tell the story. I mean, it's a, it's a read that takes some concentration because it's a very, you know, it's following all the convolutions of the Clintons is pretty um, dense. But I think as you read through the various scams, I mean, the what they did in India with the earthquake, what they did in Haiti with the earthquake, what they did in uh, Africa with HIV, AIDS, it, it becomes clear that the Clintons uh, uh, have learned how to Make millions on the misery of other people, right? And, and to look for these opportunities, and you know, and to uh, say, well, we're going to have a charity. We're going to go in here and raise a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars for the uh, victims of the earthquake in Haiti, and then at the end of the day, uh, there's nothing really been done for the people of Haiti. They're in the same miserable condition. Uh, the money's been stolen. It's unaccountable for. The Clintons have brought in a few of their very close cronies who have built hotels or ripped off on cell phone deals or other scams. And uh, there's no accounting of the money. And uh, no one in the Department of Justice or anywhere else, even in the state attorney general's office, uh, do anything to prosecute or investigate you know, whether what the Clintons have done on a massive scale, if we tried this with a foundation, we'd be in federal prison. You know, that's one of the, exactly, you're exactly right. And that's one of the, the, um, uh, the things about your book. And again, Dr. Corsi, Partners in Crime, um, referencing Hillary and Bill Clinton, the Clinton Foundation. And it's interesting how you, you wrote this book and, it, it, without knowing, I mean, people that have no idea about the enormity of of the scam, I'll call it that. That's my my phrase now. Of the, that the Clinton Foundation is. Um, if you, if anyone who's read that Peter Schweitzer's book, Clinton Cash, this this would serve as kind of like the college level course beyond that, or the edition beyond that, perhaps. But even if you haven't read uh, 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 Peter Schweitzer's book, Clinton Cash. This really is an educational research document, 352 pages of just solid information. What do you think is the most egregious? Well, even before, even before that, Clinton, 2001, get out of the White House. Clinton's getting out of the White House, the co-presidency, saying they're dead broke. Was that a true statement? I mean, were they dead broke back then? It's not a true statement. I mean, the it's part of the grifter mentality that the Clintons have. They... Uh, are always seeing themselves as broke, uh, wondering, you know, where the next meal is coming from, and they're acting like that. But at the same time, Hillary had a book contract coming out of the White House, which I think was a $10 million advance. It was a multi-million dollar advance. I'd have to look into the book to see the exact amount. Uh, and 
yes, Bill Clinton had a lot of legal debts, but his legal debts were because of, you know, his philandering. Basically, uh, the Paula Jones case, the Monica Lewinsky case, uh, these cost the Clintons a lot of money. Uh, the Mark Rich pardon, uh, which Clinton did also was under investigation by, uh, special prosecutor at the time. And by the way, it was, it was, um, combination James Comey and, uh, Mueller who put an end to the Mark Rich investigation. They are Clinton fixers. That's another separate story. But the point is, um, the Clintons e- even stole the silverware out of the White House. You know, I, I, I read a whole section in here where they come out of the White House with the uh, furniture and the antiques, all of which are property of the people of the United States and the museums and the archives, and uh, they get caught. They end up having to return a lot of the property they took out of the White House, and they end up um, having to pay fines and pay taxes. I mean, this is this is kind of egregious behavior, this crying poor. And then you wonder, you know, basically, uh, they come out, they say they're broke in 2001, and, um, you know, over the next 14 years, Bill and Hillary Clinton, you know, make over $230 million, and a lot of that money comes out of the foundation. Now, uh, I don't see that being dead broke. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, they're too... Their two homes cost a combination of five million dollars. Uh, they, which they bought right away. Um, you know, the, the Clintons, uh, if anything, should have considered themselves to have been two of the most fortunate people in America to have come out with as much money as they had and as much opportunity as they had. I mean, certainly if you look at past presidents, Harry Truman, you know, never left the White House. With a, um, you know, a $10 million book contract. And these are the kinds of things that, um, you know, the American public, I think, finds very hard to excuse when a hard look is taken at the Clintons. But the point is, you know, from the Democrats and from the left, the Clintons get a pass on all of this. And people, even in the Department of Justice, are either protecting them or, you know, afraid to prosecute them. Attorneys generals don't want to take on the Clintons. They they figure they may end up themselves, you know, in pushing pushing flowers up from their graves. You know, I mean that's <laughs> and so the Clintons have created a ma- a master kind of um a, a criminal operation here in which they uh uh cheat everyone, don't pay taxes, uh and are uh protected by the globalists with whom they're um, cavorting and uh, promoting mutual interests, which are not the mutual interests of the American people. You know, Dr. Corsi, when I was looking over uh, rereading parts of your book today, and, and I know that in, in this section, in, in the right in the initial part of the book or the, the first couple of pages, you were talking about inurement. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about my my uh, inability. That's to, correct, inurement. That's right. right. Which, in other words, diver, diverting uh, funds for personal profit, self enrichment, and where and again, I, and I, you give a lot of credit to Peter Schweitzer, uh, Clinton Cash, and his expose about the uh, you know about the Clinton Foundation. I, I, let, let me, but I, I guess with all that said. 
why aren't they is is it just because of everyone's guilty in Washington I mean you're 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 inside the beltway now serving as the Washington bureau chief uh, for infowars is everyone corrupted and is that why they're not in prison orange both of them well there's an awful lot to be said that that point is true I mean I think you find uh, Washington has come to be a place where um on both sides of the aisle both parties you have uh, senators congressmen who are coming away with millions of dollars uh they go into lobbying firms there's a um you know rotating door between the military and military industrial contractors uh you find um that Washington's a place where people do a few years of public work and then cash in on it and they cash in it on K Street where there's all the consulting firms they cash into it in corporations uh and the Clintons uh, I think felt like they were entitled to participate in this kind of um what I consider to be egregious wealth I mean and and I make the point in the book the Clintons could never get enough money that you know no matter how much they made they always felt like they were running out and they always felt like they needed more um the avarice um it, it is phenomenal i mean you know if we take a section that just take the the india section for a minute with you know you get an earthquake that occurs and i'm just taking a look at some of the the book here in 2001 which is 6 days after bill clinton left the white house and um there's 19 almost 20,000 people killed in india 166,000 injured, 4.5 billion in property damage. Um, it, it's, by the way, um, it, it's the third anniversary of the day Bill Clinton went on television to say he didn't have sex with that woman. And so what, what do the Clintons decide to do? Well, immediately, one week after the earthquake, Bill Clinton speaks with one of the top criminals in India, uh, you know, what, what, connects with the prime minister and they, Bill Clinton says, I'm going to go over to, um, India and we're going to raise a billion dollars to help the earthquake victims. Now, first of all, the Clinton Foundation at this point is set up with only one purpose and that is to build the presidential library. And according to the, uh, charitable rules, 501c3, you've got to have a what they call a Form 1023, which takes your, uh, your, essentially your articles of incorporation and says, here's our charitable purpose. The only purpose for which the IRS gave what they call a determination letter to the Clintons to raise, um, money in a tax deferred basis was to build the presidential library. So Bill now decides he's going to go off to India. He has no legal standing as a charity in India. There's no Clinton Foundation in India. Clinton Foundation in the United States is not authorized to accept donations for uh, India earthquake relief. And, you know, Bill Clinton doesn't pay any attention to those issues. They set up an America Indian Foundation. I guess that was in their recognition that they needed some U.S. entity. Again, it's not, it's not in any way defined as a, again, a 501c3, there's no 1020, there's no, um, 
filing statement that this is a charity. It's not registered anywhere. Uh, it's completely off the books. And uh, Clinton goes off and he says they basically raise a billion dollars. Now, no one knows where the billion dollars goes. That's a problem. The, seriously, the, well, and first, and, and I, I know a little bit about the, uh, uh, the the filings. If you if you are a charity, and I think this is what you're saying, if you're a charity, you you've got a stated purpose for IRS uh, uh, for the 501c3, and if you deviate from that, you can't do that, even if it's another, even if it's legitimate. If there's an earthquake in India or whatever, and you want to divert that money to uh, flood victims in Houston, for example, you cannot do that. It's it's nice, but you can't do it according to the law, uh, to the IRS law. Um, and Mr. Corsi, if I can ask you this, you made a statement that uh, the Clintons never could get enough money. They always um, acted or or said that they were broke, regardless of how much money they had. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's just the way that they are? Do you think they have some stated uh, goal in mind that they're working towards? Um, or is that their mentality? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I think, um, um, it, first of all, there is a psychological element in it. Um, you, you've got, uh, and I, te- I basically take a look at the Clintons, and I think that they're both essentially... You know, they, they've never, they come from poor environments. They basically are con men. They, um, have all their lives been looking to bilk other people, especially Bill and of course Hillary along with her, you know, Saul Linsky leftism feels she's entitled to everybody else's money. So there's a psychology that, um, you know, that they need somehow to steal money in order to have it. They, they can't, deal with getting it honestly. I mean, I, I, I've come to think almost there's a fundamental issue at the heart of the left where the left feels um, guilty about actually earning and deserving money. You know, they feel like everybody who has money stole it. I mean, here's, you know, this is your, uh, you know, Howard Zinn theory of the history of the United States. We um, stole everything by exploiting uh, Indians and na- Native Indians, black slaves, etc. And once you've got that kind of capitalist, you know, view of your socialist or Marxist in orientation, you feel like um, anytime you have money, you've stolen it, uh, or anybody who has money has stolen it. So they all kind of get that mentality. Now, uh, with the Clintons, I think it's at the point of a disease. Because, um, it, you know, as I go through even this chapter on India, so they don't bother to register the foundation. They start working with a uh, group of Indian criminals, you know, in, in terms like this Raja Gupta, who is a managing director of McKinsey. He's one of the big players in this American India Foundation. Well, he was with another Indian um, they were trading on inside their information. They both went to prison. And then they... Five million dollar fine. Government. Yeah, you got a five million dollar fine for insider trading. Yeah. Right, and they decide they're going to raise this billion dollars and they start holding these black tie galas around the United States, uh, to raise more money and they're holding the black tie galas with this 
American India Foundation in cities and states where they've never registered as a charity. So all of the registration requirements, all of the um, uh, financial reporting, which you've got to have audited financial statements, if you try to find the money raised by this America Indian Foundation, it's impossible to track it down in terms of audited financial statements or where the money went. Uh, certainly the public statements are way out of line with anything they appear to have raised. And then, you know, but that's, that's the pattern. The, the Clinton financial statements are terrible. Uh, they're disgraceful. They are, um, you know, basically fraudulent. Uh, to any accountant would appear to be patently fraudulent. I mean, this isn't, the Clintons have run here not a, a minor fraud, but a major fraud of, of, you know, vast proportions with no attempt at all to, um, follow the rules. And if they're going to be raising these kind, this kind of money internationally, which is a theme throughout my book and theme throughout what they've done, you know, because they've worked with some of the biggest con men in the third world and, and, um, sold their prestige, uh, for money to the foundation and into the Clinton Global Initiative, which, by the way, they created again without registering as a charity. I mean, how do you have a annual conference where people make pledges and you consider that this is a charity? Now, the Clinton Global Initiative never filed a Form 1023. It never got any termination letter. Uh, they basically decided that if Davos could charge people to come to Davos, well, the Clinton Foundation could hold the Clinton Global Initiative like Davos, and they could charge all these wealthy people who wanted to be influenced, you know, peddlers, and to hobnob with the Washington elite. They could charge them big fees for coming to the Clinton Global Initiative and then get commitments for charity, make it look like it was a, a you know, a, a philanthropic activity. But what they were doing is they were basically, from the start, uh, selling influence through the Clinton Global Initiative, charging everyone $20,000 just to attend the meeting. And, you know, then you got friends of Bill, and they be, they're beginning to make six- and seven-figure donations or pledges that are publicly announced at the Clinton Global Initiative annual meetings. Uh, that translates into camera time on stage with Bill Clinton, and the money is supposed to go into the Clinton Foundation. Now, whether or not it actually does, and I tracked it, uh, only a very small percentage of the money that was ever pledged at the Clinton Global Initiative is actually contributed to the Foundation. So, you know, and the whole thing is outside the realm of the IRS control because it's, you know, not a, a, a registered charity with a IRS determination letter, but it's operating kind of in a rogue fashion, and the accounting of it is slipshod, right? if at all. Right. And is it is the Clinton Global Initiative a separate corporation? Is it a program of the Clinton Foundation? What's its corporate status? Well, again, that's problematic. How do they have separate accounting, or is everything consolidated 
into one financial statement. Well, sometimes they separate account and sometimes they consolidate. And so by the time you're finished looking at the Clinton financials, um, you've got a complete mess. And that's, that's, that's the nature of everything they've done. Yeah, now I've got a couple of questions, uh, actually uh, about three or four questions. And by the way, we're going to forego the bottom of the hour break and, uh, and give you the extra time, Dr. Corsi, and, um, uh, that way we can, we can just cram as much in as possible. But again, the, the essence of the book, Partners in Crime, uh, to our viewers and listeners, I believe personally, after reading this, you, you could, you could use this as the basis for a criminal indictment. Um, oh, easily, yeah. easily. And I, again, I'm just astounded that that I haven't seen uh, that that there is none. But now, uh, I guess working backwards here, where does the Clinton Global or where does the Clinton Foundation and and the various offshoots where does that stand today? Given the fact that she's kind of irrelevant in the presidency, she didn't assume the presidency. Where does it stand today? Well, they they have not closed the Clinton Foundation down. And they continue to talk about they might hold another Clinton Global Initiative meeting. Now, I think they're finding that with Hillary having lost the presidency, uh, they're not able to do influence peddling. I'm not able to be able to sell the kind of um, pay-to-play scams because they can't deliver anything out of you know as they could when she was senator or when she was secretary of state. Uh, and so I think their contributions are way down. Uh, but they have not closed the foundation, and I think they're going to try to revamp it in order to be the stage for Chelsea, because mm-hmm. the Clintons seem to want to stay in the game in order to promote Chelsea's political future. And then I've, you know, I've just started writing with Charles Ortel some articles this week in uh, Infowars.com, where now you've got the uh, Barack Obama Foundation which is playing the same game. Uh, they have a IRS determination letter to, to do the found, to do the presidential library, the Barack Obama presidential library, uh, in Chicago. But if you read the rest of the articles we'll publish this week and next week, uh, they're merging in a program from the White House called My Brother's Keeper Alliance to, uh, find mentors for inner city kids. But again, you can't merge a program from the White House into a foundation, and there's no IRS approval for the foundation that was constituted to build the Barack Obama Presidential Library to go off onto a inner-city kids' charitable mission. But it doesn't seem to bother Barack Obama any more than it bothered the Clintons. And you know what we have here: if this does not get investigated and prosecuted and shut down. Is, you know, you, you've set up a scam where future presidents who are rogues can come out of the White House or any other head of state, create their foundation and go uh, on an international plundering scheme. Wow. And, and that's one of the reasons I think I'm so determined to still continue to pursue this and see if we can't completely shut it down and, and bring the, uh, the Clintons to, um, uh, you know, criminal justice. I agree, and I think that needs to happen because it. And again, reading the book, the book is Partners in Crime, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great book, and it could be used. It could be laid on on a U.S. attorney's desk, uh, prosecuting attorney's desk, and 
um, depending on the uh, intellectual honesty of that prosecuting attorney, could be used as a basis for a criminal indictment, I believe, against the Clintons. That's my, my view anyway, because it's so detailed and so well documented. But, okay, um, during her tenure as Secretary of State, I mean, she really, and, and she really just used her position, sold her soul, sold the United States out. What was the most egregious in your view, the most egregious part, uh, the crime or, or activity, I should, I should say, when she was well, Secretary of State? I, I think it's the one in terms of the uh, Frank Juster in Canada and the fact that uh, this was a uh, guy who was a penny stock dealer who uh, decided he was going to go into the oil and gas business, the uranium business, and um, began with Bill Clinton to try to get um, uranium contracts out of Kazakhstan. They finally set up a company, Justra does, and gets Russia involved. Uh, they make contributions out of Canada to the Clinton Foundation, and they end up getting 20% of all uranium in the United States through a company that Justra set up that's now owned by Russia. So the Clintons managed to get through this um, Committee for Foreign Investment in the United States a acceptance that it would be just fine if, you know, this company set up by Frank Justra, now owned by uh, Rosatom in Russia, uh, ended up with 20% of all the uranium in the United States. Now, that's just egregious. I mean, can you imagine if George W. Bush had tried something like that? Oh, man. And, and well, there, there's, I mean, if, if the progressives and Democrats are talking about Russian collusion, my goodness, they invented Russian collusion, at, at least economic collusion, uh, for self-enrichment, and, and selling America out as well, given the fact, uh, given uh, what uranium, uh, you know, is, could be used for. Well, or also, I mean, you know, the um, they, they decided in 2002, basically, that they were going to go after this HIV AIDS, and they were going to get it with Ira Magaziner, who's one of their long-term criminal buddies in, in Massachusetts, and they were going to go to um, uh, to basically India, where they could get generic drugs a discount uh, for HIV AIDS and send them to Africa. Well, the drugs they bought were poison. They, they were defective. They couldn't cure anybody. They'd probably do more damage than good. And they brought the defective drugs again with their buddy, their criminal buddies in India, and they conned this unit aid, which is a taxing scheme on airlines, which about five countries participate in. France is the major one, uh, which runs through the um, uh, the World Health Organization, part of the UN in Geneva. And the Clintons end up saying, well, just give us that money. So they end up with four or five hundred million dollars out of unit aid. Uh, again, which no determination letter. They set up a Clinton HIV AIDS uh, initiative, which is not a separate foundation. Uh, they get shut down, by the way, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts becomes so angry at how they're operating the foundation, they shut them down for a year. But they continue operating in Massachusetts. That's where they run the HIV-AIDS initiative out of. They essentially scam Unidaid out of at least, I'd say, half a billion dollars. And there's no proof they cured anybody of HIV-AIDS. But yet, while Hillary was Secretary of State, they go about, you know, saying all the good work they've done to cure 
HIV AIDS through the foundation. Uh, the money largely goes missing. The accounting is shoddy. Uh, they bring in countries like Ireland into the scam. Uh, the Clintons aren't registered as a foundation in Ireland. But yet they're there soliciting money for HIV AIDS along with France into this Clinton Health Access Initiative. Which it becomes a partner with Irish Aid. And they're starting then to send off to in Mozambique and, you know, they're, they, I mean, it, the whole thing is completely a concocted scam, which sounds like it's doing good work, but how conscionably do you steal, as the Clintons did, half a billion dollars, uh, with defective drugs from India, and then trying to convince the world that you've helped to cure AIDS. <laughs> you can't even write that as fiction. No one would believe it, but there it is. And you've got the profiteers from this society, in addition to the Clintons, uh, Doug Band and, and Ira Magazine, or as, as you mentioned, Cheryl Mills and Huma Abedin. I know Joe's got a question about the, uh, I don't know if this is the right time with the flow, but he's got a question about the latest release of Judicial Watch's emails. Because I know you've worked with Tom Fitton, uh, Joe. Yeah, the the Hillary um, emails. Um, how do they fit into what we see as far as the fraud from the different uh, initiatives in their foundation and uh, the money that they've been raking in? How do how do they play into this? Well, the um, for a long time, the ones that especially that I think Hillary said she destroyed, and the ones that have not been public that Tom Fitton is now getting. Uh, further document, um, someone contributes money to the um, Clinton Foundation, and they have a project, and they want to uh, meet people in the State Department who can clear the way for them for a venture they want in one of the foreign countries. Well, these emails from the Clintons um, in offline in their private server come in from through Human Abedin, typically through Huma Abedin, and Huma is saying, well, we've got this donor and this donor wants to have a meeting with in the State Department or a meeting with in the federal government, and Hillary sets it up. And then the uh, donor uses that meeting for a business purpose somewhere in the world, and basically uh, the emails document the pay-to-play scandal where people who are contributing to the foundation know that that's the price in order to get the attention of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton to open a door for you within the State Department or within the federal government. And so no matter what you want, you want a telecommunications contract or you want to, you know, build a road or some kind of construction project somewhere in the world and you want State Department blessing, well, you contribute to the Clinton Foundation, call up Huma Abedin, ask for meetings with Hillary Clinton to arrange with the appropriate government officials, and lo and behold, the meetings get set up, Man. and your deals get done. Pay to play, pay to play, pay and, to play. And, and well, even worse because you, well, self enrichment, selling out America essentially. You know, as they did in the, with the Lincoln bedroom. Now it's on the global scale. I'm sorry. Right. And see, what, what I point out in, in Partners in Crime, why I focused a lot on enormant is. Um, a pay-to-play, you've got to you've got to prove intent. You've got to prove the connection, the nexus between the contribution made and the, you know, the um, favors that were granted through the government 
And the Clintons can always say, oh, no, no, we would have done that anyway. But, you know, in enormous, when the money goes missing, and, you know, I've got uh, in here a whole chapter showing with this health aid initiative where they end up with, you know, 60 to $100 million just missing off the balance sheet. And they reorganize the company so that in the reorganization, you know, $20, $30 million just comes off the table. Now, you don't need to prove any intent. All you have to show is that the lifestyle, and the Clinton Foundation, you can demonstrate regularly, is running at maybe 3 to 5% of the money they bring in actually being spent on a charitable purpose. Wow. With the, with the rest of it going to salaries, overhead, expenses, travel, lifestyle. I mean, the Clintons are, you know, spending... Uh, 96% of all the money they take in to spend to use 4% of it for charity. Hell, they gotta pay their bills though, Dr. Corsi. My goodness. <laughs> right. Gotta pay their bills. <laughs> you, you know, if I, I'll tell you what, if, if, if I ran this agency, or, you know, our network like that, um, I'd be strung, strung up to, and hung, but, uh, in jail. But nonetheless, wow. Uh, and, and folks, Partners in crime. The Clinton scheme to monetize the White House uh, for personal profit. It's available at WND Bookstore. Use promo code Hagman. Just go there. Go to Hagman Report. Click on the mm-hmm. banner link and go over there and order the book. Order two, as a matter of fact. It's a great deal. One for your neighbor. Because people need to see this. But, Dr. Corsi, if we can kind of switch a little bit here. You're the Washington Bureau uh, Chief for InfoWars right now. Um can I ask, can we just veer a little bit, and it's up to you, but what are, sure. what are we seeing taking place with this Mueller, uh, Manafort, my goodness, this, this revelation about the two FISA, uh, uh, wiretaps, and of course now the lies by DNI Clapper, and, uh, you know, what did Obama know? And you've written extensively about this, or about the, uh, uh, about the troubles, but what are we seeing right now with what's going on in Washington as in your capacity as the Washington uh, Bureau Chief for InfoWars.com? Well, I, I mean, I'm concerned and I've, I've been trying to, to warn the White House. I mean, I think first of all, uh, I've written extensively about both Comey and Mueller who have a long history of being uh, Clinton fixers. Um, I mean, the uh, one of the more egregious cases there is the HSBC Bank. You know, I was, I'd spent, I'd worked for 25 years in banking, uh, before I began writing. And, um, you know, I switched careers when I wrote Unfit for Command. And, uh, John Cruz, who had been an officer in HSBC in Long Island, brought about a thousand pages of customer accounts and he showed it. He was trying to get somebody to pay attention to him. Well, I looked at him and I saw immediately that HSBC was running a money laundering scam. And we brought it, I started writing about it at World Net Daily and yep. WND, and um, we brought it to the attention of the Senate Permanent Investigating Subcommittee and the Department of Homeland Security. Well, it turns out HSBC was running billions of dollars in drug money and, and terrorist money around the world, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars. And uh, on the board was James Comey. Of and, course. Uh, the head of the FBI, which did nothing about this until I began publishing it, uh, was Mueller. 
And the uh, U.S. attorney who was in charge of prosecuting this was Loretta Lynch, the Southern District. Eric Holder was the um, attorney general. (laughs) Well, finally, they negotiated a one point, I think, nine billion dollar fine from HSBC, but nobody went to jail. Now, I'm sure that the Obama administration was into that hip deep and sure. the CIA and you know the, a lot has been written on this since the Ryan Contra and since the you know the disclosures of the Vietnam War the Church Committee and others but especially the Tower Commission um, knowing the CIA has been deeply involved in the international drug trade now you can't have an international drug trade uh, without laundering money as you know, trucks full of $100 bills don't do you much good. So uh, this was a criminal scheme that CIA had to know about, probably was operating. The FBI had to know about it, as well as the Treasury. Everybody was hiding it. And Comey is on the board. No, no real penalty to Comey. Mueller's head of the FBI had done nothing to it until we exposed it. Loretta Lynch organized the criminal penalty. Everybody walked free. Now, those are the people who are also involved in the Mark Rich, dismissing the Mark Rich pardon. And, and it goes on and on with the number of things that, you know, Comey was involved in, not just Hillary's emails, a long sequence of saying, oh, we're not going to prosecute. And Mueller going right along with it. Now, they're in there, and they're going to do one thing. They're going to try to uh, prosecute uh, Manafort and probably... General Flynn on the Russia involvement one way or the other but regardless I'm convinced they're going to charge President Trump with uh, obstruction of justice because he fired Comey and say put the crisis in saying well you know he needs to recuse himself what do they charge him in a criminal court not just impeachment and they're going to do it I mean, I, I was saying I this about it. Comey during the election, I was going to say, if Comey's in charge, there will be no indictment of Hillary on the emails, because he's never indicted Hillary. He's never recommended taking it to a grand jury and indicting in all these different crises. And twice he exonerated Hillary. Uh, and right now you've got it set up, and Mueller is going to do what he can to um, destroy the, to get Trump either to resign or to be impeached. And it's coming down. It will happen. And, and uh, you know, look, uh, I'm going to tell you something. If you coming from you, Doctor Corsi, if you say it's coming, I, I truly believe it because of your inside. You've got so many inside contacts. Your research is impeccable. Your experience is, is everything. But um, how soon do you see this? Is given the the rapid nature, I was surprised. First of all. Um, the raids of the Paul Manafort home and his, the, um, storage facility, the storage unit he had. I was surprised, surprised how quickly that happened. And then I was surprised, uh, with, with the rumors now coming out about the, the, the potential indictment of Manafort, Paul Manafort, but also the extent of the, um, the, the FISA, uh, wiretapping. Uh, just amazing. So you, you think this is going to be like sooner rather than later, like within months? I know you can't, you don't have a crystal ball here, but my goodness, is it, are we that close to? 
I don't think it'll stretch out too terribly long. I think that the uh, first thing they're going to try to do is to um, pressure Manafort or Flynn into becoming the John Dean. You know, John Dean. Sure. Uh, Watergate was happy to lie and turn in Nixon as long as he got a limited prison term. And he was the one who cracked in the Watergate to work with the prosecutors, special prosecutor. Uh, I think they're going to try that. I mean, the idea of breaking into Manafort's home at 5 in the morning and photographing all the suits in his closet and all the Italian suits in his closet and, you know, bringing off, that's unnecessary. That's thug tactics. That's, sure. you know, Manafort's not going anywhere. He'd be happy to turn over all that to the um, FBI in a reasonable, um, all they have to do is go get a uh, search warrant and uh, or request that the material be turned over. And I'm sure Manafort would work out the arrangements and turn it over. Right. Very civil process. But, you know, to come in like, Thugs in the morning, you know, like the, the Gestapo knocking down your door at five in the morning while you're in bed with your wife. I mean, this is really frightening kind of behavior on behalf of the FBI. And, you know, what's, uh, where's Jeff Sessions? I was just going to ask you that. What's up with that? I mean, the only way you're going to be able to get any containing on this is if you immediately begin an investigation of Comey and Mueller. Right. And there's plenty of information out there to investigate the two of them, and they should be investigated. Uh, and then also, I mean, you know, we've got Comey who had the tarmac meeting that went on with Bill Clinton and with Loretta Lynch, and Comey was told to change the definition of the criminal investigation into a um, matter, a, a matter, a proceeding. Yeah. You know, which was Hillary's meme at the time. This is just an inve- this is just a procedure. It's not an investigation, a criminal investigation. And you know the uh, the cover-ups, the lying, the writing memos to himself that he refuses to hand over. Uh, all of these are issues to me, which would um, more than justify firing Mueller and going after both of them. What about uh, investigating Obama? Yes. For the extensive wiretapping that we now know was done, and I've been reporting this since March, of um, Donald Trump and his campaign, and with I mean wiretapping, electronic surveillance through the NSA. Yep. Um, you know, you have James Clapper under oath asked if U.S. citizens are still being uh, uh, under electronic surveillance from the NSA, and he says not wittingly. Or is that that answer means yes? <laughs> right. What do you mean, not wittingly? As a director of the DNI, I, that that answer, if if that was even a genuine answer, that would be frightening. As the director of the DNI or the DNI, my goodness. And, and from everything that Snowden has released, and I have no reason to believe that any of that was false. The NSA is essentially collecting um, electronic surveillance on every American. Right. Now, whether they read it or they don't read it or they just archive it, they've still got it. All phone calls, all Skype messages, all emails, everything is captured and archived in this, you know, glass puzzle palace that is the NSA. Well, uh, who's gonna, who's gonna check the NSA? I mean, both the NSA and the CIA are rogue. Uh, we know this going back to 
You know, Americans just seem to have a, a, a lack of you know, ability to remember this. But go back and pull out the Church Committee oh, yeah. on the you know, extensive lying the CIA did to cover up their involvement in the Kennedy assassination. Fully document the Church Committee, which you've written on your book at WND Superstore. Yeah, uh, I believe. I've written extensively on the Kennedy assassination and and the CIA's role in it. Yep. Uh, look at the CIA and Iran Contra, the Tower Commission. Yep. Look look at the CIA's role in uh, Mossadegh in uh, Iran. Yep. Uh, or you know in Guatemala where they assassinated the head of state for a banana company. You know that that John Foster Dulles and his brother Alan Dulles were had stock in. Uh, I mean, this is the it's fully documented that the CIA has been and continues, I believe, to be a rogue operation. Not not an intelligence gathering operation, but a covert action um, within the American government that is the deep state, the the pinnacle of the deep state. And together with the NSA, you know, they have all this information. Why aren't we investigating um, President Obama for the unmasking? Um, Susan Rice, you know, we've got McMaster still giving Susan Rice security clearance. Exactly. And, well, and this is yeah, you wrote ridiculous. on that. Yeah, it, it is. Now, we only have about three minutes left. I can't believe how quickly this time has gone. Um, you've got the floor. Three minutes I believe. Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book now on this, and I, I'm, I'm very concerned that that if Trump doesn't fight back, and he can fight back, but uh, he's got to understand that a coup is underway, and uh, the deep state does not intend to allow Trump to rule, and he better take a hard lesson from John Kennedy, because in the final analysis, if they can't control him, uh, they'll assassinate him. And the attempt's going to be made uh, in the next six months to either get Donald Trump to resign or to get him impeached or to declare him mentally incompetent. Uh, but uh, Mueller is going to play a big role in that. How quickly is it going to come down? I think it could start coming down in the next 60 days. It'll start with Manafort. It'll start with Flynn. And then uh, they're going to try to have it be ready to, you know, Produce the charges against Trump, uh, and before he has time to act. And then he's gonna, Trump is gonna be faced with either a criminal indictment or advice going into the House for an impeachment on obstruction of justice. Uh, uh, those charges don't have to be provable. Right. Mueller does not need to be able to prove the case, he just needs to be able to make an indictment. We're gonna make an indictment right now. Does civil war I'm sorry, does civil war follow? I mean, what happens with that? Is the breadbasket of America, the the farmers, the the truckers, the people who really put him in office, are we going to, what are we going to do? Are we going to? Well, they're going to try, right now, if they're trying to take enough time where Mueller, when he does this, and he's going to do it, can make it look to the American people as if he had a basis for it. And right now, it's been hard to find the basis for it. Uh, and the fact that Grassley has come out and pointed out that, uh, Comey was writing, um, the, you know, basically his statement that was going to exonerate Hillary before he'd heard all the testimony, 
was a setback to Mueller's plan to bring obstruction of justice charges. But the the whole meme on the Russian collusion has largely fallen apart, although they probably will find technical violations and other issues on which to charge Flynn and um, uh, and Manafort in the attempt to get them to agree to cooperate with the special counselor to say that Trump knew everything and he was guilty from the beginning, just like John Dean did. Uh, but I don't think that's going to work. So it's probably going to take them into sometime early next year before they're really able to make their move against Trump. But it's underway right now. It's being considered. That's the assignment Mueller was given, and he intends to do it. Wow, that's, um, you know, we suspected as much as they were going to try, and whether he's successful or not, uh, he obviously well, has the gonna, help of the media. He has the help of, you know, academia. He's got the help of... Just about everybody out there aside the American people who voted for Donald Trump. Dr. Jerome Corsi, thank you so much for joining yeah. us tonight with this insight into both the fraud that is the Clinton Foundation Incredible. and the uh, Mueller investigation and where they plan on taking that. Dr. Corsi, partners you. in crime, uh, go to the World Night Daily Superstore to get that promo code HAGMAN10 or HAGMAN for 20% off the book, HAGMAN10 for 10% off anything there. In the world of daily Dr. Corsi, you're, you are a fantastic person. I'm so glad you're the, the uh, Bureau Chief in Washington, Bureau Chief for InfoWars. We'll be talking to you soon. God bless you. Thank you so much for your gift of time tonight. My great pleasure to be with you tonight. Thank you. All right. That was Dr. Jerome Corsi. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Network break. Give us three minutes, and we'll be right back. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. To our third and final hour on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report, and each and every Tuesday in hour number three, we are joined by Stan Dale from StanDale.com. Tuesdays with Stan. Yeah. Isn't that wasn't that a book? Oh, <laughs> no. Stan Dale, how are you, sir? Well, very good. Sitting here in dry ground, and my house is intact and not in pieces like people in Florida and. Uh, Houston and the area down there. I think we're pretty good off here. Oh, wait, wait a second now. No, I was looking at the forecast. You're scheduled for fire and brimstone later tonight. Oh, that's true. I forgot. How, how, how thoughtless so, of me. Yes, that's true. Well, I'm you know, just the metal shields now. There you go. There you go. Well, it's great. It's so great to have you. I mean, you know, I was just telling, telling us, everybody, I'm just fired up tonight, man. So I, I'm ready for, I'm ready for some stand. Yeah. Hey, yeah. how'd you go with Dane last night on the geoengineering? Oh, it was uh, it was really good. We covered a, a lot of ground and um, got some insight into his thoughts as to what are the factors contributing to a number of things we're seeing in the in the world with weather and uh, the manipulation of weather. Yeah, I talked with him. Uh, oh, probably thirty forty minutes uh, yesterday afternoon before showtime, and. Uh, you know, we uh, we've both seen a lot of stuff to you know about the ozone layer depletion. I mean, he was down in Australia about the same time I was for a visit, I think, and he was down there to feel the effects of the ozone layer depletion. Um, I'll tell you, when that ultraviolet gets through the ozone layer, it's like needles sticking through your clothes. I mean, I was I was uncomfortable with the sun shining on my jeans. It really hurt. Uh, you know, you had to get shade when that stuff was coming through the ozone hole. But we're going to see our share of it here eventually. And, I know Dane says that, or the NASA guy he's talking with says that the majority of the problem with the sun is, uh, you know, not that the sun is overheating us, but that the geoengineering is causing our, uh, libe- our, you know, the reflectivity of the planet, the libido, to change, and it's uh, creating these tremendous storms and extremes and heat and cold. I tend to, to disagree a little bit with the guy from NASA because I can see, as you can too, that the sun at its 
it's coming around again toward the end of this month in the first two days of October. It's going to be pointing at us. And um, I am sure from what evidence I've gotten out of the U.S. Air Force in, in the past that there are new frequencies of ultraviolet being emitted by the sun, and that's not due to our uh, climate change or, or the engineering of the planet. It's due to the sun. So you've got that, and you've got our geoengineering working together to create a nightmare of weather for the planet. And you know why? I'm pointing people to, to uh, Dane's site here uh, in my uh, show images page, image 38. You can click on that on the, the text or the picture and get over to his site uh, where he has a, a number of pages on the ultraviolet uh, increase in the, the C-band. <clears throat> now, the C-band, we, we normally have UVA and some UVB, but UVC kills bark on trees. He's already proven that in Northern California. And it's going to get worse. Uh, you don't want UVC band uh, you know, radiation to get you. Um, but it's intensifying. And uh, on one hand, I can applaud what uh, Dr. Teller and the guys wanted to do with uh, putting uh, you know, fine uh, part of, uh, particulates in the upper atmosphere to reflect some of the solar energy and cool all parts of the planet to not uh, allow this global heating to occur, whatever the cause of global heating is, of course. But I do applaud the effort to try and stop that. But the problem is um, all of us that are working on engineering uh, a planet, you know, planet changes, uh, not terraforming, but atmospheric changes, when we're doing that, we're doing it blindly, not knowing what the, the blueprint for planet Earth is. The Creator made it it's like a formula. Everything had to work in concert, you know, uh, animals, uh, uh, vegetation, uh, you know, the, the seas and the atmosphere. Everything had to work in, con uh, in concert together. So when we started pushing, you know, a button here to put uh, aerosols, you know, and particulates up in the upper atmosphere to try to uh, fend off some of the increased solar activity, uh, we did so blindly. And uh, now then down the way, a few decades, we see, oops, that was not a good idea. And uh, nobody wants to take credit for it, of course, but I applaud the attempt, but I am also a pragmatist realizing that we're we're just kind of the blind leading the blind into trying to understand God's physics and science, and we're not doing a good job of it. Yes, Dan, I, I think you're right. Um, and, you know, something Dane mentioned yesterday is, um, you know, we, we see the global, the, the man-made climate change narrative being jammed down our throats even you know with junk science and uh dane made the point that you know just when we see that we can't um we can't just disregard the the fact that the there is uh warming going on and as you always say that it's not just the earth that the other planets in the solar system are experiencing this warm warming also and trying to understand you know what the what the causes and what the effects are going to be um the the media does it from this uh you know junk science point of view where numbers are manipulated to push a narrative but dane really made uh, some great points as to uh some of the dangers that we do face from some of what we see going on and it it's important to make sure we differentiate you know uh, just because we don't believe in man-made climate change that there isn't stuff going on with the climate well look uh, you know i can also uh, support the the viewpoint that we should be um Reacting uh, or you know living in our environment more efficiently, more you know wisely. Uh, you know we're, we're putting trash heaps out into the ocean that are forming islands of trash, and uh, you know 
resources with gay abandon to what the trash after we consume them does. The plastics, uh, you know, just one example. And there doesn't seem to be a planetary authority which says, okay, you can't make this product because you haven't got a good way to dispose of it or put it back into the environment in a friendly, harmonic manner. And the sad thing is, even with a global government man-made that had the authority legally to do that, they're not going to be able to understand the formula that God created for this planet. And it's going to take the creator, the architect of our planet, to bring it back to right, to normal. You know, the way he set it up where everything worked in harmony. And that's what's going to happen in the millennial reign of the Messiah, but um, in my opinion, you know, what the Bible says. Yeah. However, yeah, we still need to wake people up about what's happening and, and uh, you know, not to go out without uh, sunscreen and some kind of clothing protection in the sun for too long. Um, Dane also has a bunch of uh, color brochures. He'll send you just uh, free. Just go to his website, to Image 3070, click on that, and go to his, his uh, engineering website. I can send you the stuff to spread out to pilots and friends and people who make a difference in the society around you to to address this problem, to realize that the efforts by the tellers and everybody else that got into the aerosol stuff have failed, and we need to personally take responsibility and get involved in trying to do the best we can to limit our impact on the environment. Sadly, one of the biggest impacts is the numbers of people living, just living and breathing and eating. And, you know, without birth control in some of the uh, Asian countries and India and stuff, uh, our population has grown to where it's no longer sustainable with our biosphere. Anyway, that's a huge argument to add, but anyway. Okay, Stan. Well, um, jump into our next topic. We have a lot going on today. We have the 32-year anniversary of the earthquake in Mexico that killed over 5,000 people. In another earthquake that happened today, um, that they're still pulling bodies out and, and the death toll continues to rise. And then we also have the Hurricane Maria that is in the Atlantic as it's uh, inching closer towards Puerto Rico. Where, where do you want to go, Stan? Well, I think Maria is probably going to peter out um, uh, and, you know, dissipate itself fairly shortly into the Atlantic. Um, but the number of these hurricanes that just you know and the strength of them and the closeness to you know our uh, east coast and to the Gulf and also over the Mexican side on the, the southwest corner of, the, of North America, all these are rather you know remarkable we've had a good run of some ten years where we've had minimum hurricanes, but these have come back with a, with a vengeance um, and again I uh, years ago I've been telling people. Because of the changes in the sun, at, at least that, we're going to see extremes in our weather, extreme cold and rain, extreme heat, drought, and we're seeing that now, and it's going to get worse. It's going to, um, you know, polarize into various areas of the planet uh, where they didn't have drought before, they're going to have it, and vice versa. Um, the deserts will bloom, but, uh, you know, in Israel, I suppose that's because they're going to get more rain than they used to, or, or than they're used to now, but they're going to get more to make it a green like burdened country again. Look at um, our earthquake images for today at uh, slide 43. Um, <clears throat> I took that for the last um, 11, 12 days to show the earthquakes around the planet that were, you know, from Richter 1 up. And you can see certainly there's a cluster of them in southern Mexico there. And the one there's 
things. Mexico City was actually a little bit south of Puebla. But um, you'll notice that uh, the Aleutian chain up near Alaska, very, very busy. Even Hawaii is very busy. And, of course, Mauna Loa is on the verge of erupting again. They think it'll probably be a magmatic you know, flow eruption rather than you know, some huge, uh, uh, you know, like uh, life-extincting event or something on the island. But uh, it is a problem. It's uh, chewing up some property around um, uh, Mauna Loa already. You can see it in the news releases. And then in South America, Chile, Argentina, Peru, on the coast there, we're seeing some, you know, in the last 11 days, we're seeing some significant quakes there. Now go back uh, to the show images page, image 44, where we zoom in uh, on just the United States and Mexico, so you can see this, the earthquake separated better. And you can see the one that was happening on the 8th of this month down there, that uh, Richter 8 plus over uh, in the southern tip of Mexico offshore. Now, uh, you can see in this image, if you click on it and enlarge it, you can see a red line that uh, uh, is a plate tectonic border that comes underneath where that earthquake occurred in Mexico or, you know, outside of Mexico out in the sea. And that red fault line goes up toward the Baja, but it doesn't connect yet. Um, in this area here, in, in Mexico and the Baja area, mainly more in, ex in Mexico and uh, part of Honduras, we see three tectonic plates that are converging and creating pressures that, uh, you know, it, it takes a genius to figure out where they're going to go. Now, the on the right side there, that uh, red line goes up the Gulf of the Honduras, and that's uh, where the Caribbean plate, Caribbean Ocean type thing, Caribbean plate is pushing up against the Cocos plate, but the Cocos plate and the Pacific plate are spreading apart. So you've got a plate on the right, the Caribbean one, pushing the Cocos. Cocos pushing back at it, and this is causing an uplift all along the west coast of Central America and Mexico. Um, now, if the Cocos plate does join the one coming down through the Gulf of California, as you can see that red line coming down there, if it does join that, then we may see activity along the Imperial Fault line, which joins the San Andreas Fault, and could be rather interesting. But right now, the pressure release is south of there in the, the mountain ranges uh, in Puebla, Mexico, and offshore there near Oaxaca, where that one was about 11 days ago. It does indicate to me that we're seeing increased seismic activity in the northern, uh, in North America. And that we should, uh, as always, be prepared if we live in areas that are earthquake prone to deal without power and water. Um, and in fact, I'll get onto that thing in Houston, just a minute on that, what, what Harvey did in Houston. Uh, I did read where a bunch of the, the Hollywood uh, notables, you know, the, the stars, got excited when they had a 3.5 earthquake in, in, in L.A. here yesterday. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking a 3.5 Heck, I've been in one of those. No big deal. But they're running around like scared little hens saying, is this the big one? Is this the big one? Oh, dear. You know, they aren't prepared for it. They think the big one is never going to happen. It's out there in La La Land. But I was amused to see them now panicking over a 3.5 earthquake. Boy, 112 people already dead down in the little town there in Puebla, which, you know, the buildings fell on them and it didn't just shake their dinner table. Anyway, that's my rant on the earthquake thing. Hey, um, the, uh, look at image 47, the um, situation with Harvey in Houston. 
colleague when I, you know, when the hurricane was happening down there and the flooding was occurring, I said, you know, look at what happened around here in sleepy little Pueblo West where we live. We had a windstorm here oh, six, seven months ago, and uh, it loosened some tiles on the, our roof and on some of the other roofs. It took off, you know, great sections of the tiles, but still left the roof intact. And it bent a few sign, you know, street signs over to the right and, and down to the ground, the metal ones, and a couple of flagpoles got bent over like that. So, you know, it wasn't anywhere near the impact that the hurricane would have. But, okay, we we thought, well, we'll call the, the insurance company. Uh, we see we had a few tiles missing. So we called them the next day and said, okay, let's get this started. We were among the smart ones because we got our thing fixed within a few weeks. The, the guys that we talked to are were booked out until the end of this month, and that's from back in, like, May, June, before they could get to some of the houses around us. And there weren't that many damage, but it takes a lot of work to get a crew up there, rip the old roof off, and put a new one on. And I looked at Houston, and I thought, dang, well, first of all, they've got to get crews in to build the houses again because the houses are destroyed. I mean, you take all the sheetrock off, maybe the brick and the uh, and the framework will be good in a lot of the places. But you got to deal with uh, the damp that's got to be dried out and any mold that may have formed. you got to have people to do that. And this article I linked to is a CNBC uh, videotape and, and article written article about, you know, what is happening down there. They're calling for, you know, uh, home construction people, uh, roof building people, all kinds of, of workmen that they need. And when you look at the thousands of homes that were damaged, it is so many more and so much more damage than we experienced here in our neighborhood. And we had, you know, people waiting like three or four months to get a crew out to fix them. What are they going to do in Houston? you got to have garbage removal because all that rotting junk in the front yard that has been taken out of the homes and stuff that's still in homes hasn't been taken out. Um, you got to find a place to dump it all because they don't normally throw away all the furniture and junk that they had to because of the, of the uh, hurricane. Uh, and you got to have garbage dumps set up for that because the old ones just couldn't handle the load, I'm sure. So it's a labor shortage that is really critical down there. And it needs people from the rest of the United States where we can get them, you know, qualified, uh, you know, uh, construction workers uh, and various types of people for roofing and things and plumbing to go down there and help the reconstruction of Houston. It's going to take years before some people even see a crew to rebuild or repair their homes. And it just, it just struck me as I was watching all this stuff that, you know, the, the earthquake down in Puebla, that, you know, the, they really are suffering down there. But, but Houston, I think, on a, on a greater scale, is suffering a lot more. And uh, although they've got some labor force down there in uh, Mexico to take care of that problem, they don't have the numbers that we need up here at the moment. And I just... Uh, I'm sorry for the people in, in Houston and in Florida as well that have been damaged by all this and little island chains, you know, that have been wiped clean in the path of uh, Irma. But, uh, and yeah, Stan, reading the article, family. reading the article you have linked there, um, they have uh, a, a president of a construction company, Leslie King, who says, you know, we have been we were busy before, now it's just crazy. We have many homeowners. Uh, begging to have you come out to their house. You have to tell them it likely will be a couple of years, uh, yeah. according to her, like you just said. And they said over 30,000 homes were destroyed in the city by, by the flooding that Hurricane Harvey caused, and that's a lot of homes. And I've also been reading reports out of the Florida Keys, some places in South Florida, and in places in Houston, 
that there are still places with power off. Um, some gas stations, especially in South Florida and the Keys, continue to run out of gas. There's not a, uh, a good restocking of food supplies in some of these areas. And it, it's like the, the media attention was so big on these storms, hyping up the storms and the, the damage that they're going to do. But after uh, Hurricane Harvey did its damage and Irma was in the path, the news media completely abandoned uh, everything about Harvey and Houston and the victims there and and moved on and it hasn't really come back into the news since and then you have all these charitable organizations collecting all these hundreds of millions of dollars that none of it ever goes to the actual victims you know with one exception and, and folks and i don't mean, I don't mean one exception coach uh, dave dobmeyer and, and there's an article from the washington times yesterday that said how christians were putting fema to there shame in these areas there you go yeah yeah and then of course you have some of these uh news celebrities of sorts that have been collecting money for that relief and then putting it toward uh, activist programs that have nothing to do with hurricane relief. I I just find that sad, really sad. It kind of destroys your faith in what human nature should be, at least in this country. Just gone to the dogs. You know, Stan, um, just take a step backward here, if if, if you don't mind, if, if you can humor me in this question. Um... I know what you said throughout the program today. Um, I know what Dane Wigington said yesterday. But a lot of people are still asking the question, and, and I'll just toss this out there. The hurricanes that we're seeing, are, are, are these man-manipulated, man-made? Um, I, I don't know how, how else to expand on the, the questions that I'm getting except to ask that. I guess that's the essence of the questions that we're getting, just to clarify. Well, you know, um, it'd be easy to say, oh, yeah, they're man-made or man-steered. I don't know. I don't have enough evidence to tell you one way or the other. But I will tell you that um, global, you know, uh, engineering of the dirt, the seas, um, and the atmosphere, whether intentional or, or, or not, does change our weather pattern. Now, once a, a big hurricane starts, there are known ways to uh, cool uh, one side of the hurricane so that it uh, pulls to that side and you can steer it uh, under certain circumstances. And dry ice, you know about that, you could drop dry ice on it, was one of the, uh, the standard methods. But uh, can something like HARP, you know, the, uh, in Alaska, or the Chinese equivalent uh, or the Russian equivalent, can that cause a hurricane I seriously doubt it but once a hurricane or sorry once a tropical storm uh, a low uh, pressure depression starts they may be able to steer it uh, but the amount of energy to create you know a, a, a hurricane is so huge that I I think if they were pumping that much energy into the ionosphere that the sky would glow day and night it's just a huge okay. amount of energy yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, exploiting, and, and it's it's kind of the the same thing they do with the the uh, with politics. They exploit the uh, uh, what's already there. So yeah, I can see that taking place. But to to, to what end? I, I guess would be my question. Um, well, ideally, you would steer hurricanes away from your coastal right. areas where it's going to do damage. Right. But otherwise, it could be weather warfare. Uh, you know. Um, Let's look at Putin. I mean, uh, there's one of my uh, boxes on that tonight, to a story covering his 
um, war games in you know the western side of Russia up close to to Europe. And the name of the war game in Russia, and I forget what the actual name is, but it means Operation West. Now, is that a westward move, or we're going after the Western nations, uh, or is it just been named that just to uh, to go to uh, you know the United States and Europe? But um, he knows how to use weather warfare. We know how to use weather warfare. The Chinese know how to use it. The, you know, there are a number of other countries that are starting to play at it in local regions. But the three great superpowers have enough uh, equipment and technology that they can make severe changes to the weather over periods of time. And if they all try to do it at the same time, as I've said before, if they're using electromagnetic radiation, if they're using uh, warming of certain parts of the ocean or land by some you know, microwave burst or whatever, uh, if they're all uh, doing it but not in concert, the results are going to be unpredictable. Um, and because Russia is fairly protected from uh, you know, like seacoast waters and stuff, it's uh, fairly locked in. Um, it's safe from the huge coastal hurricanes and stuff like that, but not safe from tornadoes and, uh, you know, uh, uh, storms that uh, are created over uh, seas but move inland over them. However, the most damage is when we get a hurricane like we've had or several like we're having now. Um, did they do it? Did someone do it? I don't know. Okay. They and have a treaty. They yeah. made a treaty in the 70s, you know, that was finally ratified in 1980 to stop where the warfare between Russia and the United States didn't include China, but anyway. And, and I find that, you know, what I, I find the, the, the people who deny the existence or the capabilities, uh, I mean, the treaty itself should be Exhibit A for the capabilities, for verification of the capabilities. And it's uh, no secret. It's on the government website. You can read the treaty yourself. Right. Right, and, and the, I, I know that um, if, if, if memory serves me, that might have been one of the very first topics. I have, might have to go back through my program notes when you, when when you first came on. Um, I remember that being one of the very first topics we talked about, or very early on. And I was surprised because you were the first person that uh, that alerted me to the fact that there was a treaty. You know. I first wrote about that in 1978, the Cosmic Conspiracy, and that was two years before the treaty was ratified, but I knew it was coming because of the stuff that was printed in the papers in 1977 and 72. So it was a long range guess, but certainly it's come true. Man, okay. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, amazing. there's a, if people want to look at image 48 later, or just for a brief moment now, you can see all those tectonic plates I was talking about and little white arrows show which way they're moving to give you a better idea about changes that are coming up toward California and the Baja. Um, the tectonic plates there are moving kind of sideways you know, up and down to each other and splitting apart down in the Pacific to Cocos region. So we've got a very complex set of movements in the tectonic plate from the Baja, I don't know, up into Washington, which is in this particular map, but it's just uh, just for your notification, you can use that thing and, and have a look at it. There's something else going on in, you know, in the Middle East. You, you know, almost about two weeks ago, the the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, sneaked over secret visit to Netanyahu in Israel, and they have a talk, and then uh, you know, uh, MBS goes somewhere somewhere else. Nobody knows exactly the terms of the talk, but then 
now, this week, the the head or the king now he's not he's not the Amir any longer, he's the king, they've changed it to a king. King Hamed bin Isa of Bahrain has uh, drafted a a treaty with five main points. When I say a treaty and agreement. It's called the Bahrain Declaration on Religious Religious Tolerance. And uh that the Arab nations have now come together to say, look, we're going to stop boycotting and being mean to Israel. We're going to be friends with them, right? Well, now, uh, looking at slide 39, there's a story there. It's a, a video I actually you can watch after the show. It's a prophecy alert by Paul Begley, and it's entitled, Iran Threatens to Turn Tel Aviv and Haifa into Dust. Now, that's Iran. Well, Saudi Arabia hates Iran, too. In fact, most of the sensible Arab countries you know, are afraid of Iran and want to get rid of it because it's a terrorist-type organization. And so in the efforts to get rid of Iran, Saudi Arabia has, for the last two years, had formed a 34-nation consortium and an army between them of Arab countries that are against Iran, and and hence uh, also Syria. Now, uh, to stop Iran's threat to Israel, the, the Saudis have gone over to Netanyahu and said, okay, look, uh, here's what we're doing. We're going to be friends. Uh, you've been over our country. Uh, America's selling its weapons, uh, and uh, it's all a happy family here, and we're getting together to be between you and Iran and Syria so they can't harm you. Well, that sounds like a good deal, everybody says. But then you um, you read the details, for instance, of the Bahrain Declaration, and you go to slide 41 and see what... Uh, King Hamid said, and uh, in the in the article, I'm just going to go down here. The five points they make: religious faith and expression, freedom of choice, the determination of God's will, religious rights and responsibilities, and the hope of faith. Now, it all sounds good. They in in the five points extracted from the paper, um, they use the word God and not Allah, and. Uh, the four of these things sound pretty good until you get to number four, religious rights and responsibilities. We acknowledge that God expects more of those in positions of spiritual and temporal authority, uh, uh, and people of all faiths should be accorded the right to congregate to worship, educate, celebrate, and practice the requirements of their respective faith. Now, unless you're familiar with the Quran, you're not going to realize that practicing the requirements of the Quran, of the Islamic faith, means to do away with Israel and the United States, the people of the book, the Christians and Jews. That's practicing the requirements of their respective faith. This is not worded well, and it's done so, I'm sure, kind of, you know, to lull people into saying, oh, this is a good deal, but it's not. It's what it doesn't say, but what the right gives that is, a, you know, a warning to Israel and the United States. This consortium of Arab nations it's going very to be the Psalm 83 war or something. There's something forming there. That's very interesting, and I'm reading through this now, Stan. And um, I don't know. You've had your uh, you've been paying attention to specifically uh, Saudi Arabia, the Saudi princes, and this area for a long time, and and things to watch from these areas. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see this going on, but you're saying that this is not a good deal like they're making it out to be. No. I think it's going to be a chess move on the part of Saudi Arabia and the allied Arab nations. 
Bahrain is a very rich country, and they've you know become friends mm-hmm. with the, the Saudi prince, and the Saudi prince is now to the point where he needs to have control of the country, and his father is fixing to abdicate. So the Saudi prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, is uh, locking up people, uh, you know, getting rid of people as well in his country that would be a thorn in his side when he takes formal power of, of Saudi Arabia. Now he's got this army. It's a consortium of 34 nations, and they've done practice drills together and, you know, warfare and stuff, you know, pretend warfare. If they go over between Israel and Iran towards Syria so that they can take their force in to get rid of the threat from Iran and Syria, if they do, they're going to run into the Russian presence there, but um, because they're on the ground, the Saudis and their air forces are on the ground there, it'll be somewhat like telling Russia you're in trouble, just like you were in Afghanistan. You know, we're either going to block you or send you home. So there'll be a little bit of a stalemate as the, the Saudi uh, allied forces move that way. But it's only a left turn through Jordan, uh, you know, in the tip of Syria, a left turn into Israel, and they're there on the ground. Now, you know, I'm sure that the uh, the Defense Department in Israel are aware of the possibility of this, but remember how many thousands of years the, the Arabs and the Israelis have been at odds with each other over property. And it's not going to go away with a little handshake. Um, And remember also that the Arabs are are notorious liars and deceivers. And their religion, the the Islamic nations, uh, it's okay to lie uh, to uh, promote Islam. Takiyah. That's why I'm I'm worried about this. That's what they they call it, the takiyah is... is, uh, Yeah, yeah. What gives them the permission to do that and yeah, there was just an article today. I'm not sure. I don't remember where I saw it, but it was a jihadi giving an interview about Western culture and how he said it's so easy to to lie and manipulate the people of the Western world. Invade. And Randall Terry talks and, about the. Yep. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, we are under assault, under full attack in the yeah. West. And uh, Stan, I was I was I was at a conference in uh, Branson, Missouri, this past week, and. I was speaking with someone who said uh, from England, and he said, "You know, um, he was just over in oh, I don't know, Western Europe. I I, I don't recall the country. It was, it wasn't uh, Sweden. It was um, I don't know. It was over there. But he said most of Europe is lost to mm-hmm. to to what's what's taking place. You know, with the with the with the alien invasion. And I just found it sad. And he said it's it's coming here." To the, he said, "I can see it. Thursday, it's coming to America. It's already, it's already mostly here, but it's, it's yeah. Amazing. I know, I know. Well, you know, uh, the West is going to pay for its um, sleepiness. You know, the the, the Crusades uh, of you know the twelfth, thirteenth centuries, whatever. They never really finished the job, and so the Islamic nations and the Christian nations have been at odds, kind of on slow boil." Um, you know, and, until this century or last century, this century, uh, and the the increase in the animus between them has been obvious. And to fuel the the Arab side or the Muslim side of the attacks, you know, the Crusade, they had all the oil and they were selling it and getting rich overnight. After World War II, they just blossomed into a superpower of money. Um, now that's what we're facing now is the conflict and the western world most people are still worrying about their rights over the 
are coming in to disrupt their countries. Uh, and, you know, you would think over here, if you had a population in the United States that was really seriously wanting to preserve America and the Christian nation, the Judeo-Christian ethnic, that they would stop the illegal immigration. It's too late now. Too many of them already gotten in, but they would have done that. And instead, you have half of the country that are being led by liberal socialists that are just destroying the country, doing insane things. And I'm sure other countries in the world and the West are looking at the United States and thinking, what's wrong with you people? Can't you see what's happening in Europe and it's happening to you? Wake up. And exactly. it's like nobody's listening. You know, as I as I traveled, and this, again, and I pardon me for referencing my travels so much, but uh, I learned. I seem to learn a lot. You know, it, it's it, the, the further south and in, into the Bible Belt that that you go, the, the less tolerance for any of this uh, progressive mindset, intellectual bankrupt crap that that that, that we've got. Uh, there is down there, I should say. In other words, the people understand they're real people. I mean, they're the real people, uh, as opposed to these uh, morons, these mindless morons on the in the cities, inner inner cities of like New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. There is a definite uh, uh, there's a definite difference. And of course, you know, you might say, "Well, boy, that's an enlightening statement." But the fact is, uh, what I see, Stan, is this this deepening and ever-widening rift that I think that we're going to have to address or will be addressed or forced upon us here in short order. Um, there's less tolerance uh, on the conservative side, and there's much, there's even lesser tolerance on the progressive side. And I, I can see the sparks flying already between the two. I don't know. Yeah. What was it? It was about 19, 1996. 97 maybe it was uh, 96 probably uh, Holly and I uh, were invited to, up to the Hopi to, to visit with them uh, we were on another issue with some earthquake research and stuff but uh, they said look come see us and they told us at that time that there was going to be an invasion of the United States by Russia and China and one Middle Eastern country they couldn't name that one but they said they will tear America apart for a short time and destroy much of it uh, but they will come at a time when America is weak from within because of civil war between various factions, you know, white against black, uh, Jew against, uh, you know, uh, Muslim, and Muslim against Christian and Jews, and uh, Puerto Ricans against this one and that one. He, he just did a bunch of things when he told us. But basically, it's what we're seeing now, a complete mess of various polarities within our population fighting each other. And the riots are, are only the thin end of the wedge. It's going to get worse. And probably to the point that the president is going to have to declare martial law in various areas to try to put a, a lid on it. Uh, it won't work, but while we're fighting inside our country, while we've been hit by these hurricanes and possibly some earthquakes that are coming up, um, you know, we're going to be basically ripe for the taking by the Russians and the Chinese. And the Middle Eastern country that comes with them, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Saudi Arabia, but it could be anybody. They all hate us over there, and uh, yeah. we're at that point. Exactly, and, and yeah. In terms of the geopolitics, you've laid it out, and you mentioned your book, Cosmic Conspiracy. I, I think you 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 were way ahead of your time with that book. You, you still have that book available, that title at, at your. At your I store? do. 
Okay. And, you know, um, I'm sure the good Lord led me to put the things in that book that are there because I'm not a, a, a good writer. I might be an author, but I'm, you know, a poor writer. But it started, that book started after I uh, was revealed, you know, what I'd done was revealed to the public through a television documentary in Channel 9 in Perth in 1977. And because of that, a book company said, you got to write a book. But I remember driving up to the station to do the first show, you know, to, for the release of the interview they did with me. And I had been praying, you know, that everything is going to, you know, be right with what I say for the Lord's work and ever. And I felt this warm thing like honey start at the base of my skull, right where the little dent on your spine is there, you know, where your head joins. And it flowed down my back and into my shoulders, a great calming feeling as though, you know, something was settling in my body. And I'm pretty sure it was the Spirit of the Lord, because after that, of course, when I got, you know, the publishing company wanted me to write the book and everything, the book Cosmic Conspiracy resulted from that. So the things that are in there are the things that the good Lord pointed me to that would be important, not only then, but now, particularly, and in the next few months, about what's going to happen as far as the world government. On page 200, I haven't changed the first 200 pages of the Cosmic Conspiracy ever. I've just added things to the end. And on page 200, there's a map of the world being divided up into 10 regions, just like it's spoken of in the prophecies, that a world government will form, and there will be 10 nation states, and they list the countries that will be in each one. Um, and that was published, you know, in 1976, 77 by the Club of Rome. I forget the exact date, but it was before I wrote my book, and I was able to put it in the book. And uh, I did meet uh, Dr. Pache, the head of the Club of Rome, briefly in uh, Melbourne, uh, you know, before I wrote the book. So I'm telling you that these things that were chance or uh, quote-unquote accidents weren't. And so if you're finding things in that book that are, you know, amazingly accurate this far down the road for what's happening now, it's because the good Lord put them there. Okay. Um, Amen. And, and <laughs> there are. I mean, the uh, cosmic conspiracy. <sighs> we're in such a mess at the moment on the whole planet. There you go. Yep. That uh, people are really, they've really lost faith in their established government. Um, in Europe, you can see how the, the, the heads of the various European countries, you know, uh, have failed their people by letting the uh, illegal immigrants, these refugees, come through and settle in their countries and virtually destroy them. And so the people of these countries are thinking, you know, what do we like these people to do? What are they doing sitting on their thumbs? They're not protecting us. Anybody, you know, Blind Freddy can see this isn't a good idea. And so the people of Earth are getting more and more dissatisfied with the leadership of the planet. Um, you know, they we're at the verge of a nuclear war over the Rocket Man issue. And uh, we're, uh, you know, the at the verge Man, of yes. the Rocket Sorry. Man. I think that was so cool. I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, he must have laughed when they were writing his speech about that because, yeah, that's, that's that rocket man, that works for me. <laughs> yeah, me as well. And, and Schumer come in saying, oh, that was that was belittling. He shouldn't have said that. You know, I'm thinking, oh, no, he should have. <laughs> uh, we're dealing with a clown armed with nuclear weapons, mind you, but still a clown. Um, but here we have the threat of nuclear war. We have uh, weather catastrophes that are increasing. It's in, impacting our... Uh, various countries that grow produce and, and sell it all over the planet. Uh, in, in 
the wake of what's happening in Houston and in Florida, we're probably going to see a rash of various diseases, uh, you know, that will be spread by mosquitoes and by uh, dirty water and things like that for a few uh, months or years, which will be, you know, quite sad, but it's part of the, the uh, what would you call it, pestilences that will occur. People are unhappy with that. People are going to be unhappy with their economy more so than they are now, especially when the economy collapses, when the share market uh, collapses, the whole world is going to know about it. People are afraid of that and seeing that coming in, you know, the various economic reports that are being published now. And, you know, like Bitcoin is under attack and people are, that have gone off into these uh, digital currencies could be losing it all. Um, you know, uh, financial, weather warfare, nuclear warfare, food depletions, possible pandemics that may start out of, you know, like cholera stuff that may start out of these natural disasters. Um, and, you know, population migrations, like we're seeing illegal uh, immigrants all over the world, not just here. These major curves are driving people of Earth, the people, not the leadership, but the people to say, can anyone solve the problem? And when I wrote The Cosmic Conspiracy, I wrote it knowing that there would come a time like this and that the people would be led by these engineered crises to uh, to adopt a one-world government from a, uh, an institution that has no political or religious or cultural bias. It comes from off the planet type thing. And that is the, uh, the great deception, I think, that Jesus was speaking of in Matthew. It's going to deceive the whole world, except for those who are uh, in his bride or, or, you know, those that are his believers and followers. They will see that this is the great deception. But we are fast approaching that, and that's the major point of, uh, of the cosmic conspiracy was to warn people about that in our day, in our time, not to be fooled by this, not to, to run to the nearest uh, alleged solution to the planet's problems. You know, if I can do this, I don't know, uh, Stan, we haven't talked about this before, and it's up to you, but um, for those who don't have Cosmic Conspiracy, if you order it, uh, Stan, if you if you tell me from this program, you just somehow mention that, you know, you're ordering it because of this program, uh, I'd be happy to send the, for five the first five people who order your book, Cosmic Conspiracy, which is relevant today. I will send a free copy of my book, Stand by Blood, to, to them if they would like it. So, I mean, I don't know All right. Stan, All right. if you well, want to. Yeah, well, um, so if they just say in there, um, what, they, what, they order the Cosmic, can you give them a free copy of your book? Or? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So if uh, if they order Cosmic Conspiracy, your book, I've got five I've got five books left of the last uh, printing right now in my office. Right. So, so if they of your, order. Of your book, right? Yes, right, Stand All by right. Blood. Stained by blood. So what, what right. I would gladly do, if you send me the names of five people uh, and how they want, like if they want me to sign it or uh, personalize it to you know whom or to who they want me to write, I'll send right. them a free copy. They don't have to right. ship First five people, First five we'll people of Cosmic Conspiracy. So I mean, it's uh, you know, so yeah, take advantage of that, folks. It's uh, um, hey, well, I, I'll tell you, the Cosmic Conspiracy is an eye opener. But um, and it's relevant today as well. So, but I just want to do that because I think it's important that people have this book, uh, read it, and have it in their library. All right, all right. So, all right. Boy, uh, it's yeah, all it, coming uh, to pass. I, oh, I it seems to be so fast. Hey. Well, you know, what's happening on the twenty third? Just real. Uh, 
Well, the quickly. sign will be there. I mean, the the uh, alignment of the three planets, Mercury, Mars, Venus, will be in the, the constellation of Leo. Uh, I've read some guy's article, you know, disputing the fact that it's a sign because that astronomers don't really know how many stars are in the constellation of Leo, which is absolute rubbish, because the, the nine stars that are there are what you could see with the naked eye and what the ancients saw with the naked eye. And when they said there's going to be a you know, three new bright light stars, which are three planets, that will appear in those nine stars they could see in Leo. And the moon will be right at the foot of Virgo, the, the Virgin right next to that. And that there would be, the sun would be on her left shoulder, you know, clothing her in light. Uh, you know, these things were all forecast properly in the uh, Revelation, of uh, John Revelation 12. And so the 23rd of September is when this alignment is coming, and there's no disputing that. And it's a sign that was mentioned in Revelation 12, and obliquely in a couple of other places in the the writings of the Old Testament. But what's going to happen? Well, that sign will be there. Does it mean that we're going to have uh, a judgment of the United States or the the world start of that time, or a couple days or months thereafter, or even between now and then? I don't know. We just know that it's a critical sign to watch because big things are going to be happening on the world as far as, you know, countries against countries and leadership and that kind of stuff. Personally, I think that it may it may herald the uh, the crisis that I was or the crises that I'm talking about, where we will see the arrival toward the end of the year of the uh, quote unquote aliens, which will be Satan and his minions opposing as our elder brothers from space. But they won't come, they won't reveal themselves until these the crises are life-threatening to everybody, every man, woman, and child on the planet that's frightened of nuclear war, radiation, that kind of stuff. So the 23rd of September, I think, is the, the sign that it's about to start. Now, what, you know, it's anybody's guess. Certainly uh, some theories say that the rapture of the church will occur around that time. may well do. And... Uh, you know, my bags are packed if it's going to happen then, but if it doesn't, that's fine. I'm just saying that it is a, a marker beacon that was given to us 2,000 years ago, well, a little bit less, but about 2,000 years ago, to let us know that this time would come, and we're there. And so we know sometime mm-hmm. around that sign appearing that the seven-year tribulation spoken of in the Bible will start, and that means fairly soon. Okay. Very interesting. And that's, that's you know... Hey, God made the heavens and the earth, and He put the the stars and planets up there for our what? To, uh, is for signs, a time and, marker, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not, and and don't confuse that, folks, with astrology. It's not. It's just, it's not astrology. It's uh, it's just it's astrology. a time map that can't be altered by mankind. It's there the it stars is. are fixed. For that, right. that, for those purposes, you can't get up and alter them. Uh, exactly. So the I'm, names uh, of those stars in the constellation, the, all those names in the twelve major constellations, have meanings that tell the story of that period in the the human uh, development and the human uh, progress. It, it, yeah. Another thing that means probably nothing, but inside forty six, I found an article uh, that the uh, yesterday that the moon hid or occluded. The three planets that are going to be in the lineup of this September 23rd thing, the three stars, Mercury, Venus, and, and 
Mars, our planets, but those are the three bright lights that will move into a position in Leo to form the 12 stars, the crown of the, of the woman spoken of in Revelation 12. So is there anything, is there any meaning to the moon hiding them for yesterday for a short period of time? And then they spring out of that, you know, and they take their position where they should be in the Leo formation in uh, four days. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Interesting yeah. indeed. Yeah, absolutely, it will be. And oh, you know that picture right there. <clears throat> when was that? When was that? I think that's from last night. That's what Stan's talking about with the moon. Okay. Yeah. If you I... click on the article, you'll see that it was uh, yesterday. Um, it was. Or, or it was. It was it was like okay. I, I got to tell you something, okay? And the true story, Stan, and and you guys can laugh all you want. We will, okay? It was I, I, we stopped in St. Louis. I was in St. Louis yesterday morning, four o'clock in the morning. It was, oh, no, I'm sorry, four thirty in the morning. I went outside the hotel to get something for my vehicle. Okay, four thirty a.m. I looked in the sky and I saw that exact. Thing. You saw the crescent moon with the saw, stars? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And it I was took, real close yesterday. The, there's two things I know how to do with my cell phone now. I know how to turn it on, and I know how to use it as a camera. I'm a little iffy on uh, calling uh, that, that, that aside. I took that picture. I took I took a picture just like that with my cell phone. And when my wife woke up, I showed her. I said, look at this. And she was underwhelmed, but I was overwhelmed. I... I, I <laughs> I'm telling you, Stan. Yeah. I, I looked at that and I thought, "Wow." Anyway, well, that picture that's, that's on that article there is uh, over Kiev in the uh, in Ukraine. Um, okay. And Venus was just above the moon just before they they took this, but Mercury, Mars, and Venus uh, were hidden uh, within a few hours, right behind the moon. And I don't know what the heck that would mean, but it's just an odd coincidence. Interesting. Beautiful. Though. You got a good shot of that, eh? No, I well, it, it was you know how. I, look, my cell phone is, I don't know, it's it's old, relative. So the camera is kind of old, um, right? So it's grainy. The picture that I took is grainy, um, but that's exactly not the definition. The the, the moon it was more of a sliver. Uh, you can see some definition on the on the uh, globe there or on the top. Right. It, right. It, it wasn't as defined as that. But, Maybe one uh, of your listeners can tell us what they think that means from Scripture. I, I have no idea, but again, it's a not a, a common occurrence for those three planets, anyway. Man, that's wow! Ah, I, I'm, I'm excited that, that you mentioned this because that, 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 <laughs> there's been a not, reason for it. Yeah, you know, I, when I looked up and and I just something about that just struck me. I need to take a picture of this. And Dang. Uh, anyway, no. Well, we'll find out, I guess. You'll have a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. Say, see? You know, uh, I had a couple of uh, lightweight articles uh, up at the top of the page there in uh, slides 49 and 51. 51 is interesting in that with those little white things you see in that guy's hand with a wire attached are artificial muscles. And uh, the article goes on to tell you the, the details about it. But they're three times stronger than human muscle and looking at developing this this stuff because it only takes eight bolts to make it contract and, and lift many times its own weight. Uh, and, you know, in the article it tells you all the details of that, but it, uh, it's strained as the, you know, the expansion of it is 15 times greater than a natural muscle. I can lift a thousand times.
behave physically anyway, like a human body, just one step further to the changing of humanity. Maybe they'll make bodies like that where they they will take people's consciousness or something and stuff them into them, or at least that's their plan. <laughs> well, they're definitely working hard to- toward that goal, Stan, uh, with all the um, robotics that we see now, and then they have the, you know the sex robots and that whole industry. It's getting kind of crazy. Um, and I read the article that you have on the show images page, and that's an interesting article. As you said, lifting a thousand times its weight. I think that's something that we need to take note of because when we talk about super soldiers, if they're creating these things, yeah, what purposes would they create them for? <laughs> to be soldiers. Yeah. Uh, again, too. Another thing, just a minor kind of, uh, you know, like kind of thing. You know all this political correctness about profiling and stuff like that? Image 49 is from an article uh, where they have developed artificial intelligence that will take a two-dimensional picture from your, your iPhone or something, your flat picture, and it will then turn it into a 3D model of your face. And the, on the site, they have an animation. You can see that guy's picture, and then they rotate around and show you in 3D that an artificial intelligence looked at that flat picture and said, ah, this guy has to have these depths and these figures, you know, for his face. Now, they would have looked at him out of logic. They would have to say, well, the man is uh, of the Negroid races. Uh, his nose structures will probably be no more than this far out from his face. And uh, the eye spacing, uh, you know, the ears will, will structure like this. And they'll take key dimensions of average Negroid features and then uh, white features or, you know, Indian features, uh, you know, or Chinese. And they'll have to use these uh, uh, profiling factors in the equation they've used to make it work for all kinds of people's uh, photographs to then extract that into a three-dimensional image. I, I think the technology is great, but I had to laugh because to get away with this, they're going to have to racially profile in their artificial intelligence. Strange, <laughs> but true. Stan, you've taken us to the end of the show. Uh, fantastic hour, and we thank you so much for your time, and say hi to Holly. I'll do it, guys. God bless you now. God bless you, Stan. And don't forget, five the first five copies or five copies of Cosmic Conspiracy Order from Stan Dale. Uh, Stan, can, you can send me an email uh, with their names, addresses. I will send them a free copy, shipping included, of Stain by Blood. All I need to know is where to send it and how to address it. Uh, if they okay. want their signed copy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All righty. Night, night now. All right. Folks, uh, thanks for joining us. Catch my program starting at 9, 9 o'clock in the morning tomorrow on the Global Star Radio Network and BTR. Joe's program and John's program at uh, what time again? 2 to 3. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 2 to 3. And then meet us back here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, for the Hagman Report. i got to tell you, we are fired up. It is a new day, new mandate. We're ready to rock. God bless you. Until tomorrow.